Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Shadow Sworn Radio Hour, episode 12. I'm your host, Brendan Carrion, and today I'm joined by my brother in darkness, my Lestat, to my Louis Amsink. What up, young blood? I'm doing real good. How you doing? Fucking awesome. That's good to hear. And then I also got Ben motherfucking Bailey. What up, Ben? What's going on? You're you're back. You're back on Shadow Sworn. I am. When was the last time you were on Shadow Sworn, fool? Uh, the Shadow Sworn we had two that was episodes a Josh, ago, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was there yeah. not long ago. He just didn't watch Forever Night episode. Last episode. So. <laughs> I, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> he was here. It's a short term memory loss, yeah. guys. It's yeah. because of all the um tough tough knocks to my dome. <laughs> it's the shovel head, man. Oh boy. Can't be yeah. To it's the second time you forgot that. that was on that episode. Here's, actually. here's the here's the thing, okay? Look, look. When you have devoted as much brain power to role playing as I have, there's no room for other critical information. And so that's the Fair ex- enough. that's my excuse, I'm sticking to it. That's all I got. Mine's alcohol. Uh, well, you know, that is not that is not inconsiderable as just, well. Just punches holes in my memory. Uh, oh, jeez, man. Did you see that thing I posted on IG where I was like t- talking to Jamie at, at Rex and I was <laughs> like, I want to address all of this, but, yeah, I'm, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I went and played Shadow War with you. Yeah. And I was like a wreck through the whole game. I yeah. was like this, this, this. Oh, you're doing better than I was doing. Well. I had it was a good game for Brian. yeah I I what had can, what, I took some beats that what, was a that was a tough game. What can one say? Here's the deal about Shadow War. If you're playing Chaos Space Marines, all right, and I know that we don't usually talk about this on this show, but hear me out. When you get to the point where you have enough experience that you can put like an actual squad of Chaos Space Marines on the board, it's fucking sick. <laughs> you, just, <laughs> you just run those guys up with like two inch coherency, like you would in a normal game, and you're like, "Oh man, I don't know who's gonna say no to these guys." <laughs> yeah, orcs are just never gonna get good. I'm looking at them and I'm going, "Man, maybe if I could feel more knobs, but as it stands, they're just never gonna be good enough." Like I, I have to basically play games where I have to grab stuff and run, and I gotta count on my numbers like carrying it for me. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty solid assessment. Yeah, kill team fight is is not no, no. is not a winning was, scenario for me. That was not a good match for you, dog. That was not a good match. All right, so let's get down to the nitty gritty. We got to get down to the world of darkness shit. What have you guys been playing? You guys been playing World of Darkness? Well, we've sort of been on hiatus now from Giovanni Chronicles oh. the past month, which is sort of shitty. But dude, uh, dude, we're yeah. gonna pick it back up again early July. Yeah, that's yeah. One does hope. Um, Life just happens sometimes, you know. Dude, it really does. Uh, we had a bunch of scheduling problems at the beginning of June, and so we couldn't play. Um, we couldn't play any Giovanni, and then I had some stuff come up in mid to late June, and I had to go out of town for a few days. So that pretty much crushed our one session that we were going to get in. So um, now we're basically waiting for man. God bless America. That is the third time that's fallen over. I'm leaving them. Yeah, just leave them. Yep. Um, so, uh, so that the, June was just a wash. No Giovanni in June. Um, July is just about here, and I was talking to the mysterious Jeff at a goth club because you know that's what you do. You go to the goth club and you talk about your vampire characters, and that's what we were doing. We're talking about the campaign, and um, so we just come to the conclusion that we're going to get a couple sessions in this month, and then right in the middle of those two sessions, we got crit hit coming up players so if you're in the phoenix metro area and you're thinking about crit hit 
we will be there. We'll be running stuff. I'm going to be doing two sessions of Mark Ryan Hagen's new game, I Am a Zombie. Come down and check that out. Uh, Adam, Adam here is talking about running that uh, V5. The V5 demo kit, the, the playtest kit that's now live on DriveThruRPG. Anyone can get it. You can go download it, read through it, and see what it's all about. Check out that new V5, uh, that new V5 shit. Yeah, check it out. It's got reviews up and everything. Hell yeah. And uh, Ben, what about you? You doing any um, World of Darkness or any horror gaming at the at Crit Hit? Well, I'll probably try and play in a horror game or two. Mm. Um, I think I'm going to be running The Veil. Ooh, cyberpunk. Yeah. That is uh, powered by the apocalypse cyberpunk, is it It not? is. It is. I've been reading it, and I think that's what I'm going to try and try and run. Well, the first, like I told you earlier, first time I've ever run a powered by the apocalypse game. Ah, yeah, yeah. So, so the three of us will be down there at Crit Hit, and we'll, the Warlord Amanda is also going to be there, I think. And uh, we're hoping to see your shining faces. If uh, you're in the Phoenix Metro area and you're looking for something to do in July, that's a great thing to do. If you want to come visit us, because the homie Justin Soroyce yeah, is going to be... Justin Soroyce will be there. He's going to be in town. And uh, he'll be running beneath the Inverted Church. So for two sessions worth of that. So uh, there's going to be plenty of horror gaming. Plenty of super gross horror gaming. Plenty of cool, cool quote-unquote people. Um, probably some beers, maybe some open containers. We're going to do the thing. We're going to do this. We're going to do it right this year, man. Not that we didn't last year, so we're just going to do it more right. Even more right. Um, anybody, anybody, uh, bought any games or anything? I ain't buy anything. I haven't bought anything since the last disappointing round of, uh, vampire books I bought. A thousand Years a Night is out. It's and, out in PDF. It's not oh. out in, in book format yet, mm. so you can't. That's poopy. Yeah, so I'm s- still waiting on that one. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, the art that Grim Ventures has been putting up on Instagram for that looks really cool. Oh, dude. Yeah, Mark um, Kelly killing it as usual. Yeah, it looks really great, uh, but yeah, I don't know about the content. Like, I rarely have a problem with the art in the new stuff, but the content has been The art direction has been very consistent, miss. hasn't it? It's, it's been good. Yeah. I, I really like the art. I just, you know, I, I started thinking, oh, maybe it's just me. So I picked up one of my old books, one of my old clan books, and started reading through it. And I was like, nope, still love it. Still good. <laughs> so it's clearly not me. It's it's Whoa. something else is missing. Which edition? Uh, second edition. It was one of the... the uh, first edition clan book. First edition clan second book, edition yes. Of the second game. edition of the game. Yeah, okay, I, read, so I was rereading clan book Giovanni. And I was like I, I, like, I really like this oh, book still. That, yeah, but that, dude, that is like one of the best ones. Right, but that, it's that, still, I was just like, do yeah. I do, I wanted to know, am I looking at this through rose-colored glasses or not? Mm. Um, so I was like, I want to pick one that I really liked. And um, Ooh, that I was picked a good that one, one too. And it was a really good one. That one, clan book La Sombra. Clan book La Sombra's really good. That's some good shit. Uh, we, you know, we well, it doesn't count as like buying or collecting or anything, but we did take a look at that pre-alpha play test uh, because we'll be running it at Gen Con in Indie. August. Yep. Yeah, Gen Con 50. Again, I will be there. Adam Sink's going to be yep. there. The Mysterious Jeff is going to be wanna there. If you want to play with us, too bad because it's already sold out. Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> no luck for you. Yeah, you know what? I got to say, it's it, it's okay. We we're, it's not going to be that great. We're 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 terrible. We're terrible people. We are. We'll we'll probably run some. Uh, well, I'm planning on running it before I get there a couple times to get my to get it under my feet. So at yeah. least I I have an idea of 
what I need to do to make it work. Because you know, I have some some potential concerns, but we'll see how it shakes out. Um, I saw a Kickstarter developer that I really like and who shall remain nameless was talking on his uh, his feed on Kickstarter about how if you're going to be at Gen Con Indie, he is going to be demoing like kind of like off the books uh, a game for the for the campaign that he's uh, he's developing. And so it's like not it's not in the schedule. It's not you can't sign up for it. It's like you have to email him and find him. It's and then black ops style. Yeah, basically, you're gonna have to knock on the door to his hotel room. You may wake up in a tub full of ice with your kidneys missing. I, I'm thinking, you know, if we find the time, maybe we could do something like that. Maybe if we meet some like FMRPG cultists at the at the floor and we can find the time, maybe we can there you know, go. sneak off and do some some FMRPG to our luxurious point. accoutrements. Well, I think we'll probably want to go somewhere other than that. Maybe, yeah, I think so, too. Maybe there will be, like, a bar nearby is sort of what I'm thinking. I'm hoping that there'll be, like, a dimly lit bar with, like, a lot of wood. There you, know you what go. I'm saying? We like get Black like, Death Rum, put it, it on the Black table. Black Death Rum. And there's not a lot to do in Indianapolis other than drink, so. so drive see, race cars. I think that, um. And drink. I th- Those I activities th- go really well together, by the way. I think, oh, I driving think and drinking? Yeah, totally. Oh, God. Uh, I, I feel like I need to say that we don't, like, we show, don't condone the show and doesn't driving. condone the views of the people that talk on it even though we I don't know never mind um, I think it's pretty well established that we're awful human beings by this point it should so. be it should be okay so um I think there's some interesting stuff in that pre-alpha there are some things that got me kind of excited such as what I think that the new system and some of the new conflict resolution is kind of cool mm-hmm. I'm excited about it the, I like what they did with some of the disciplines um. Yeah, I, I I think there's some good stuff there. I want to see how it all shakes out. The reimagining of the Camarilla and the Anarchs, I think, is pretty top shelf. Uh, the actual little storyline that, that we're gonna be playing through, not a super fan, but uh, you know, we'll this this will be a challenge. That seems to be the general consensus. I have not heard a lot of people who are freaking out about how happy they are with it. So. Yeah, I haven't heard anyone really rushing to defend it. I have heard yeah. a lot of people going, "Well, what do you expect for con games?" And that's about the most vociferous, uh, I guess, support that I've heard for it. I mean. I understood that there was like a lot of beefs about it because, and I was like, oh, well, it's the internet, people beef. And then I read it myself and I was kind of like, eh. So. Yeah, I think you had a, a, I had a lot of, I had to put it down and like go do something else for a while and then come back to it moments with it where I was like, okay, I, I need to put this down now and I need to go do something else. And then I need to come back to this after I've had time to digest and, and purge. Yeah, yeah, that could be a thing. Well, we won't, we won't, we won't rake rake those coals too much. Um, I think, I think that we could probably do an episode or something about that. At some probably, point. I, you know, at the very least, it'll probably have to wait till after Gen. I, I think we should wait till after Gen Con because we can at least get some player feedback and then uh, have some more data points for discussion, and well, we'll have a better idea how it flows. I've already talked to Dave Martin of the Wrecking Crew, who is the one who very generously like put this all together, and you know he does his own podcast, Podcast Reckoning, with Josh Maxwell, who's been on, and with Daryl Lynn, who's also been on, and uh, those are great guys. And but Dave's never been on the show, and I think that probably after Gen Con's over, we'll have him on to discuss the whole Gen Con experience, the whole kit and caboodle. And in in that time, I think we'll probably end up running through kind of like the plot and our right. feelings about it and our feelings about the direction of the game, etc. 
So what do you guys think? We'll take a little break, just like a real quick musical interlude, and then when we come back, we'll discuss Forever Night. What? What episode is it? Episode 8? Episode 8. Cherry Blossoms, I believe it's called. Cherry Blossoms. Which, let me tell you guys, that that probably... That should put a picture in your head. It probably does, And it probably will not be far off from... Right. From what what we are gonna discuss? Oh boy! Oh boy! All right, so we'll see you in a second. Forever night followers, the night crawler here. <laughs> Jesus, oh Christ! <laughs> oh boy! Everyone loves the quad. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we are back to discuss Forever Night. Oh, we um, sure and are. And after that, we're going to be discussing. Well, we're going to be discussing Adam. Thank you for asking. We're going to be discussing what the fucking episode is actually about, which is vampire the masquerade signature characters. Which ones we like? Which ones we don't? And how we would use them. Trying in, to focus in, in more on the ones that we like. We're, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, you know, we're trying to positive, be positive. Guys. We're, we're, gonna, we're trying to be the, uplift you. The, the, the cup is like two thirds full or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, but that's that's what the actual episode is about, guys. So if you made it this far, congratulations. The secret is now over. you know. What we're <laughs> gonna be talking yeah, about today. Yeah. Got plenty of hate for some of those characters, though. <laughs> oh, there's plenty, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. It's yeah. easy to pick on the bad ones. It's harder to go here are the good ones. So. I think it's more of a challenge to be like, hey, here's some ones that you could actually do something with. And I'm stoked to present a couple who that I think are like little hidden, little hidden gems. Any whoosies. Um, so Forever Night, Adam. What what what's the skinny on Forever Night? So this one was Cherry Blossoms. Episode eight, Cherry Blossoms is about. Uh, there are some. I. Chinese immigrants, and they there is a hit, like a gangland style hit. On Boom! Them. Right there in the cold open, gangland right. style gangland hit. Gangland style hit. They're in a taxi, a van. They run out of like what I assume is a sweatshop, and then the door to this van opens, and these guys come out with Uzis. Why is it gonna be a sweatshop? I just assumed it was because <laughs> I'm racist. I guess I don't know. <laughs> what? Okay, go ahead. It's some somebody somewhere watched a John Woo movie and then they right. thought, let's put that shit into a Forever Night episode. Yeah, I assumed they were escaping something, it's, it's and I was like, well, what would you be escaping? And I was like, I don't know. So anyway, there's a hit, and then uh, one of them survives. the 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 female survives, um, and sh- and she escapes. And so the remainder uh, the remainder of the episode is the uh, she's she's supposed to testify against. Uh, triads. The triads, I guess. It's never really Eric explicitly s- stated it's the triads. It's, but yeah. it's the triads. It's, it's like Asian gang It's lords. a Hong Kong gang is what they said. A Hong Kong yeah. gang ring. Yeah. So it's the triads. Um, and so she's supposed to do that. Uh, Nick, no one knows where she is. Nick has to go find her. He finds her. He ends up running across someone he knows from, uh, someone that, that knows him. Ooh. He doesn't know them from uh a prior period in time mm-hmm. um, and then uh, kind of what happens after that uh, you know there's there's assassins they follow Nick to where she is they come in Nick goes vampire mode 
uh, you find out that this this guy, this acupuncturist, um, <laughs> oh, it's it's an acupuncture. This entire thing oh, is is boy. a wash in racist tropes oh, about the Orient. Yeah, it is um, rough. And guys. so, uh, <laughs> if you're watching this one at home, this yeah, one is you're just rough. you're like, oh, I remember the '90s, and I remember when this kind of thing flew. That like romanticizing of just and con- and conflating of all Asian cultures into one monolithic block. Yeah. Um, and so they come in and they try to shoot Nick. And of course he goes vampire and he throws their guns and then they bust out the bow staffs and the nunchucks. <laughs> and I, oh, I'm not oh kidding. God. They bust out I'm, the bow staffs and the nunchucks. That scene was really hard to watch. And so then hard. the acupuncturist sneaks up behind one and, and, uh, who's, who's shooting Nick. He's holding Nat, uh, and shooting Nick and Nick's just continuing to stride forward, snarling. And the acupuncturist sticks a needle on his neck. The guy goes down. The acupuncturist then goes, hey, I need Nick to take me home. He sticks the needle on Nick's neck because he thinks Nick killed his mom mm-hmm. when he was a little boy. This episode has an interesting kind of like mechanic in it where Nick's flashback, rather than just being a reoccurring motif from his life, actually is something that is relevant to the, yeah, to the plot Yeah, and it's not in, Nick's in flashback. It's the other character's flashback. Nick doesn't have flashbacks in this. It's well, the he, other. His first one is. The first flashback is his flashback. Oh, is him t- flashing yeah. back to getting treat, acupuncture treatment from this woman. You're right. Yeah, he does have yeah. that flashback. It ends, I think, when Jeanette comes to the door. But yeah, yeah he, he calls Jeanette to come testify on his behalf he didn't kill this this person's mother yeah. she comes in and goes like badass vampire mode and i was like all right Jeanette, way to go um yeah. but then nick stops her and then they basically badger this guy into remembering <laughs> that it was lacroix who killed his mother and not nick uh nick goes home to his to his uh fairly modest <laughs> dwelling yeah. his, his modest dwelling it's as he is quick to point like out art. how how modest it is where, where where he and Jeanette are getting ready to get like super super sexy, sexy oh vampires. yeah Jeanette is just like you owe me you had give me what I want and so they start they start necking and then and then Nat good old good old Nat the ultimate cock in. block yeah. just for no reason yeah. Nat just bursts, bursts in. in hey Nick how's it going oh am I interrupting oh. something Oh, the, the, the sexual tension in this uh, show continues to to simmer in eighth grade boil. And you can just see Nat oh, just man. being so frustrated that she's not Jeanette, and you're oh, like, "Yep, yeah. sorry, Nat." There's some great friend zoning in this episode. If you're if you're keeping a friend zone tally at home, it's like with this this episode, you'll put a bunch of hash yeah, marks on the wall. There's a whole Ooh. bunch of them, man. Oh, Ooh. poor Nat. Feel bad for her. All right, so this is kind of an interesting episode. I mean, um, I think overall in terms of quality it's probably one of the better ones in a little one stretch. of the better ones we've watched wow. so far yeah wow. yeah um, so i'm i'm joining you guys on episode eight episode right eight. i had yeah. actually watched one through seven with you guys so i had seen them at prior times it's right been a long right time since i've long seen time them. ago um wow this is one of the better ones yeah. this show is like wow. what's interesting <laughs> is is you watch the first two which are kind of like interesting and yeah, sort they're, of cool they're well done and then it, it, dips, it dips and you're kind of in, in this low plateau it pulls out a, a little bit it dips real hard, <laughs> and then it kind of it's bounced a little bit yeah, back up on this we, one. We feel like maybe we're going somewhere, but only because the 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 conundrum in this one is like kind of interesting. I guess I don't know. Maybe it's just the way that the schlockiness was portrayed. For some reason, this one feels a little bit better. 
the police procedure in this one is much better than it is in the other one. Are you really saying that? Because I was rolling my eyes so hard when like Nick like Nick goes into this alleyway uh-huh. and he like dismisses this muni. He's like he's like he's like he's like go get yourself a coffee. Go get a coffee. Yeah. And then he starts doing some like vampire detective work, yeah. which like means kind of like he. But like, at least Skanky was oh, sending man. people out to canvas the neighborhood and interview people, that, and that I was like, okay, Skanky and Stone Tree. Oh my god! I just wanted. To, I just wanted. What to were they over over the map? Yeah. And they're with the pins in yeah. it. Oh, you like, you missed last time's scenes with Skanky and Stone Tree that were so them. much worse than this time. I, this I, times was was such a, an improvement over that. I I feel like Skanky has has really revealed himself to be like an unbelievably bad cop. Oh he's, yeah, he's, he's terrible. He's he, the worst. The the um. Like the quippy banter between Skanky and like Inspector Kwan of the Immigration Naturalization Services, where like they just sit there barking racist tropes at each other. Yeah. And really, Kwan isn't saying anything outrageous. Right. Skanky's just being a bold faced racist. Well, and like, if, uh, just if, if this was set today, Skanky would just have a red Make America Great Again hat, like through the <laughs> entire was, episode. I was actually picking what actually Yeah, I, I, I was too. I was like, he would, this would be the dude. <laughs> He'd be like, Make America Great Again. Be like, go back if to not, where you came if from. Not make America great, like a John Deere hat, at least something he, there. He yeah. like he kind of like narrows his eyes at Inspector Quant at one point and like goes like, my wife likes Mugu Guy Pan, uh, and and like yeah, like, 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 like so, so. And, and, and I love like, the forget about it. It's Chinatown, and I was like, man, oh, Jesus. Skanky. It's like whenever whenever they need somebody to like remind you that there's Asians in this episode, Skanky kind of like pops out yep. and then says something horrible. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's rough. Like at one point, he gets like upset that that uh, Inspector Kwan refers to Chinese civilization as being more advanced. Uh, historically than Euro- Eurocentric uh, cultures at yeah. the same time period. Yeah. And Skanky like practically like rips off his hat and starts stomping on the ground. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, dude, keep your shirt on, dog. <laughs> you know, I mean. You're like, all good, Skanky. Oh, Come at me, bro. Yeah. yeah you're, you're expecting it, right? You're kind yeah. of expecting it. Yeah. It turns out this dude, Quan, is the is like the mole inside. which Because they have his family. Dude, dude, okay. So like, I'm sitting there, I'm watching it with Heather, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Kwan's the mole. Yep. And she, she's, like, she's like, what? How do you know? I'm like, there's five characters, Heather. Yeah. It's, it's not, not Stone Nick. Tree. It's not Nick. It's not <laughs> it, Nat. It, it it's not Skanky. Skanky. It's probably not Kwan. Yeah, it's like, gotta be this guy. It's gotta be this dude yep. who's you know, here. I, 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 made the, I came to that assumption right after the first police meeting. I waited till after that meeting though before I made that assumption because I want to see if there's any like Asian cops where I was like, okay, that guy might be yeah, the mole. You're, and the moment the moment it pans through it to be like, none of these guys are the mole, it's gotta be cool. <laughs> it's gotta be that you're guy. You're waiting for them to introduce some new characters to actually make this kind of like MacGuffin like a little bit of a mystery, but you're like, No, the budget on this show is so low, they literally cannot afford enough characters. To, to to populate it with a, right. with a perspective. With other people yeah. to make it even remotely interesting. I did love how the bullets, when they did the gangland hit, were bouncing off of the windshield. <laughs> like, they're like firing these Uzis and the bullets oh, are just man. bouncing off the windshield. Oh, like, man. Really? The gangland hit is what, pretty what rough, is this? guys. What is this windshield made out of? So, like the, and, and, and the cabbie's uh, reaction to the gangland hit, where the, the guys jump out of the back of the truck and they've got <laughs> Uzis, so the, the cabbie accelerates towards them. Yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> bop, 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 bop. Yeah, and then they just light him up. Yeah, and then they killed him, which, yeah. you know. Who, who could have seen that coming? Yeah. Nobody. Literally yeah. no one. Yeah. I, I'd never forgotten or never really realized how silly 
Nick's vampire face is. Oh, oh it's pretty dude. sad. Oh, it it's is. It's pretty sad. Oh, man. I loved how they oh, Asianed man. up the uh, the theme song when he went back into the past where they just like threw in little like. That was plenty of re- oh. that was full, like, plenty like, of just tropes, too. All over top of the Fred Malin stuff. They just house. threw in those little tiny like that. That. Uh, the, the no, guitar yeah. thing or whatever that that traditional asian guitar sound over top of it you're like wow that's yeah. that is not a good sound guys so um interestingly in this episode we have uh character actor james hong he is playing up. the wizened old acupuncturist oh. oh yeah because when you are in hollywood central casting and somebody says i need a generic asian guy like an old mystical guy yeah to just play a generic people are like james hong and they're like was, well yeah that's what i that's what i'm aiming like, for let's continue too, okay I think. he's uh, literally if you bust out this dude's uh yeah. he's been in like everything which, which i did mm-hmm. to, so i'd have a list for references in case Fifth our elements. listeners can't really Blade remember Runner. him Blade Runner. Kung Fu Panda. He's Mulan. Uh, fifth, fifth Element, right? I, I, the one I remember him from most readily is uh, is Wayne's World 2. Mm-hmm. As, oh, uh, yeah. Tia Carrera's dad. Yep. Um, he's, he's been in like hundreds of hundreds. He's of been playing an old Asian guy since I was like a young man. <laughs> and I am no his, longer a young his man. His first old old Asian guy role was in 1982 or something. Yeah. He, but he started acting in 1956. Anyway, despite the fact that he's been in the game so long and he was not like a young guy when they when they made this show, they still needed to put this terrible wig on him. Oh, the some, eyebrows. Oh, bad oh. eyebrows. Those no, are no, some, no, no. The, the, chin, the chin beard thing that, was the worst part. Dude, yeah. But still, the, it, can they get through an episode of Forever Night without a bad wig? Can they get through one? <laughs> They, no. can't, they can't do it. It's like trying to get through an episode without Nick wearing a bad jacket. It's I, not going to happen. I, I want, oh my. Uh, now, I will say Nick's jacket. His leather the, jacket. The first, since we're on the subject, mm-hmm. in the cold open or the first scene mm-hmm. with him in it, he's wearing the black leather trench. Yeah. Yep. And he's got a he's got a leather jacket in a different part, a shorter Ooh, one that looks that, that, yeah, that looks okay. It's very nineties. I, I thought it was, very I was like 90s. it looks okay. It looks better than the other uh, stuff. Look, he's been okay, wearing. look, look. It's passable. It's yeah, passable. it's passable. It I, worked with the t-shirt he had on under it. Finally, he's not wearing a turtleneck or some oh, weird thing. We, he was wearing like a deep purple t-shirt, <laughs> he, which I was like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> Compared he, to the other stuff you've been wearing, deep purple t-shirt, keep rocking that. There's there's a point where he's wearing some like shitty blazer and he's hanging out in the office. And that that was the the low point for in fashion for this episode. However, overall, it's much stronger than it's been for this whole season. I like Nat's outfit, the one that she was wearing. That was nicer. I don't know how you're keeping track of this shit. All right, well, her really? her outfit was a lot nicer than the ones that we've seen her wear in the past. Maybe so. they're starting to give the show some money, and maybe they're kind of pulling their heads out of their asses. I don't know. We'll see what happens in the next episode. This yeah. the these shows these episodes are very. Uneven. I'm just waiting for Nick to wear one of those tacky sweaters again. Please no. It's gonna happen. I, why can't he just wear the leather trench in every episode? I don't understand. He looks so good in it. Anyway, so James Hong's playing this like super racist stereotype, Asian mysticism, exoticism, <laughs> kind of like Asian acupuncturist. The only and thing could have made it worse if he turns around and asks, you want to buy Mogwai? Well, <laughs> I was about to say, there is a certain character, there's a certain guy that we played with back in the day, and I feel like his player character for our, our Requiem guy. game could've was based guy, yeah, heavily yeah, yeah. on the acting of James Hong in this episode. 
Um, Did you catch the the part where they said uh, Henry Rollins confessed to the McAuliffe murders? And I was like, say it ain't so, Henry Rollins. Ghost Rider Motorcycle Superhero. How did I miss that? It was the best. I was like, Henry Rollins confessed to the McAuliffe murders? No, Henry Rollins. Why'd you do it? That actually makes me like this episode better. I cracked up when I I heard it. I was like, that is the best. I did not catch that. I'm so happy. Wow. There was was an actual like punk in the rider room like sneaking sneaking some stuff in put something in or it's totally coincidental but no, i laughed. there's no way I it's coincidental there is no Hilar- chance i laughed my my head off when i heard that it was hilarious it turns out that uh so i guess uh nick was attempting to be cured of a vampirism through the magic of asian acupuncture right. back in 1930 i guess we yeah do it the was math. the 1930 roughly at first i thought it was the victorian era it's not the victorian no. era it's just the 1930s san francisco in the in the in like the, late 20s or the, early 30s. The roaring yeah. 30s. Yeah. And um, James Hong as a child. No, it was the 30s because he asked Jeanette, remember San Francisco. Oh, right. Yeah, she, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That's where we got it from. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so James Hong as a child witnesses his mother being killed. He thinks it's, it's Nick. It turns out it's LaCroix. Right. And he's treating this woman who's been shot. Right. And he tells her, I brought you some herbal medicine <laughs> for your treatment. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, because uh, when medicine. you're shot, right. that's the first thing you want is you're like, hey, can you go get me some, some herbal, herbal medicine, medicine for this bullet <laughs> some- that is lodged in my stomach? <laughs> and for some- I would like some herbal medicine because when the trauma team rolls up in, in, the, in the meat wagon, the first thing they do is like, I need 20 cc's of yeah. herbs stat. We got to get some herbs in this gunshot some, wound. And some acupuncture, which yeah, is really going to help. acupuncture. Um, <laughs> yeah, Nat is cleared or is she goes a trauma center couldn't have done it better. She, she's like, I couldn't have done any better with a trauma center. Yeah. And you're like, wow. And then <laughs> what's, what's so great is is um You're a bad doctor, the, Nat. <laughs> the, the, uh, she the, was just telling him how bad of a doctor she was. She really was in people. the prior scene. She's <laughs> like, All of my patients in the last ten years have been dead. And I'm yeah. like, Oh yeah. <laughs> that chick, she's so the, the, this this girl, she's wait, laying in a sweaty heap in this warehouse, the same warehouse they're always in. Yeah, it's and it's, and uh, James Hong says, oh, I've given her acupuncture to make her sleep. And you're like, eh, all right. And they kind of fade out for the commercial. And then which, Nat comes which, back and gives her acupuncture, <laughs> no, she, which is a needle, a needle full of well, morphine, <laughs> morphine which I'm like, man, that's right. an acu- acupuncture is way better than yours. But it's right after the commercial break. And then she puts her hand on the on the woman's shoulder and says, this will help you sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and I was like, I thought acupuncture's finished all this before the commercial <laughs> yeah, break. Yeah. I was and, more wondering where she got the fucking morphine from. Cause she doesn't work with live patients, but well, she's a doctor, dude. She yeah, had, didn't just, you see her you doctor just, black bag she yeah, was using? You just get morphine. Oh, does morphine come with the black bag? It's it's like Felix the Cat's magic bag. I mean, bag. bear in mind, <laughs> they were in <laughs> Chinatown. It's probably not going to be that hard to find some morphine. Okay. So, um... Yeah, so were there any other like highlights of this amazing pile of shit? Uh, oh geez, man, let's see. Is there anything? Is there anything that really jumps out at you that feel like we missed? I don't know. The Hua's uh, in the Nick and his like pulling up to the secret thing in the least discreet what? a car imaginable, which I'm like, well, they're gonna <laughs> find you now, <laughs> and of course they immediately do. Well, only because the mole helped them, Adam. Oh, is that? Is it? Well, he didn't know where it was though. That's the thing is nobody told the mole where well, it was. Well, they knew to follow Nick. They knew to follow Nick in his because yeah, Stone Tree. Because Stone car. Tree's a terrible <laughs> yeah, captain. Stone Tree, Stone Tree, man, you suck Stone oh, Tree, dude. That guy. The <laughs> don't. 
You I didn't what? tell him where she was, did I? I feel I feel like we should move to Canada and become criminals because I feel like we <laughs> I did our love the hit squad that had the shittiest like jackets ever. Those like they had the sunglasses and then the like track jackets. Dude. They were like they were coming in to murder people wearing their track jackets. W- was that <laughs> like, all right. was that fight scene like the most like it was, racist kung fu movie bullshit you've yeah, ever seen? It was dude. pretty sad. The one dude with the nunchucks like spun him twice I and was, then and then Nick just like kicks him over. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, nunchucks. Anyway, um, what else? What else we got? Anything else um, jump right out? Oh, oh I, I liked how Nick immediately, when the captain, because the old man saw him do his vampire thing, and the captain goes talk to the old <laughs> yes. man, Nick immediately is like, he's got bad eyesight. He doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, he's crazy. He's so, so old. And, was, and the captain's was like, totally what are you like, talking about, Nick? <laughs> yeah. He just wants you to take him home. And yeah. I'm like, Nick, you're so bad at this. <laughs> it like, it's, like, it's like an episode from The Shield yeah. where like where they're, where they're like putting Mick, Vic Mackey against the wall, and they're, and they're grilling him, and he starts sputtering out all his excuses. But, but no so, one's grilling him. Exactly. He just immediately launches he's into a, them. He's just confessing all these crimes essentially and stone tree at no point is like cocks his eyebrow and is like what's up with night that's something like a dirty cop would say <laughs> nope totally good just just gives uh-huh. him a pass yeah good old nick and lacroix friendship's over no nicholas it's yeah. forever and then like and then like uh jeanette starts like licking his face yeah. and chewing on him <laughs> jeanette so is like seriously so she's in the heat for nick like throughout pretty much every episode it's Dude. really kind of crazy to watch but he appears to be kind of weirdly like like oblivious to all of it. I think he's just, he's just above it, man. He's just above it. Cause every time she goes to see him, she wears these slinky little dresses and practically just starts like, like grinding on him. That worked really well when she was trying to run through the sunlight and uh, ripped off the door. Oh my God. Yeah. That was so great. She just like rips the door off the hinges. That's why Jeanette's the best. She does not give a fuck. Jeanette just does what she wants whenever she wants. Fucking Whoever she wants at all time. Vampires. I love Jeanette. And then she's in the thing and there's all these windows behind him and she immediately throws the jacket off and just starts talking to them like it's normal I was like a second ago the sun was burning you there's huge windows right next to you and they never clarified how they got out they, of there. Did they just hang out with the old guy all day? Like, they, well, we're not going anywhere until the sun goes down. In this fucking show, and you know it. You know it. Um, also, at one point, like uh, Jeanette says to James Hong, like, "Oh, he could just jump up and like destroy you if he wanted to. He's just laying there because he wants to." But yeah. we, but we it, know better. We know better because because well, that that acupuncture is the ultimate magic in this thing, That's and right. it always just makes you fall over works. and become yep. paralyzed. Yeah. And what's interesting is that Nick never corrects her. He's always just kind of has this smug look on his face, like, "Oh, well, yeah, totally. Yeah, he I just want to be human again. I'm not about that life he, anymore, he, Jeanette." And you're he, like, "All he right, Nick." He doesn't get the word out that like. Acupuncturists could be the bane of all vampires. Right. They're really like the ultimate vampire. You don't need hunter. a wooden stake. You need a tiny metal tiny needle spells to kill vampires. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> he, had, he had those. The, the spell is a scroll. I, I and have then a he, spell. he has, I have a spell to destroy you. He takes a scroll out, lays it on Nick's chest, and then grabs a gigantic wooden <laughs> stake. And I'm like, I know that spell too, Jay Long. It turns out that's not some hidden Asian mysticism you got there. Oh, that's just straight up vampire killing 101, dude. Yeah. Anyway, so now that we've completely like you know mocked this thing to pieces i do want to say that it's probably the best episode we've seen in like, it is in like four or five episodes yeah, it wasn't so. bad and i think it was perfect the plot was perfectly serviceable hey there's someone and they're trying to kill him and nick's got to defend him and 
Yeah, it had some you know criminals in it and stuff. Yeah. It was kind of interesting. It was an interesting departure for Nick's policing style because it, he spent the whole episode kind of doting on a victim, which he never does. Right. Instead of just going like directly to where the criminals are and then killing them all vampires. And style. there was no <laughs> creepy weird scene with a woman like taking her top off or anything, which is unusual <laughs> for the show as well. Yeah, yeah. At this point, um, they do quite a bit of that, huh? Yeah, they do. All right. Well, I guess we've we've pretty well covered that, haven't we? So, what can we take out oh, of it yeah. and use in a game? You know, um, I felt like the conundrum here, where there's the uh, person from your past you don't know for, is from your past. I think that that would work really well. In a I think that would game. work very well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I like that. I, I was going to say, <laughs> like, well, that's I, it. I, well, I learned a lot about what not to do. But yeah, I. I I would not use any of the like generically racist Asian stuff from this at all. You're I think right. I think as a cautionary tale, that's very good. I like the idea of there being a victim who's hiding from someone else, or you needing to hide someone from someone else, and kind of that aspect of it. Yeah, and I, I liked the gangland idea. I always like gangland stuff, mm-hmm. and I like the idea of uh, like a mole. Yeah, the that's mole, cool. and like they're holding this family. Like that could work very well. There could Dude, be some. So it could dumb. be any reason. When, it could be any like, reason. It's like been a mole to be a mole. Like when, when Stone Tree is like. Yeah, but it's the, like the, we've the, had plenty of games the, where somebody's been compromised because they're holding something at, that's important to the, somebody else. At the very end, Stone Tree goes like, like, oh yeah, his wife and kid were fine. And I was like, oh bullshit. Yeah, they were dead. <laughs> they they, they, they no fingers. Yep. They mulched him and threw him in buckets. <laughs> yep. And then threw the buckets in the sea. Yep. You know, don't lie. Stone These Tree are... can't tell Nick that, though. Nick's God. too sensitive. Nick's such a sensitive soul. He wouldn't be able to take it. No, I think he'd probably start crying. Yeah, he probably would. Um, Do we feel like... Do we feel like... Uh, I hate to even say it, but do we feel like there's anything that we could port into Kindred of the East from this? Ooh. Mm. I would port Kindred of the East uh, back... No. to the printer and get rid of it. I oh. just don't like Kindred of the East. All so. right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not, not a fan of that game line. You're not a fan line. of Kindred of the East? Ben? No, I don't you like... You used to be. Didn't you used to be? No. Oh, fuck, man. I Someone got in our group was over... a huge fan of Kindred of the East. Me? I don't remember who it was, but oh, I didn't yeah. ever I, I, I didn't had, like I had the, the I had the source book, and that was it. Aww. I didn't have anything, any other books. I liked the there Devil Tigers. That was like the one. part of Kindred of the East I liked. I liked the idea of those guys who were trying to turn the wheel forward so that the great renewal could happen. I was like, that's an interesting concept. Um, but I didn't really care for the rest of it. Uh, I stand alone, as usual. All right, well, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of this episode. Uh, signature characters, which ones are good, which ones are sucky, which ones can you make some real fucking real magic at your gaming table happen with. And we will see you in just one second.
back, and we're back to talk about signature characters. The ones we liked, the ones we didn't like, the ones that we hated, absolutely abhorred, but specifically the ones that we liked. And to be clear, when we say signature characters, we're discussing any character who was a splat as an NPC in (laughs) one of the books. We're not talking about the 13 signature characters that are the illustrations for the clans in the revised core book. Right. Um, We are just saying... We wouldn't have much discussion. It would be all of us with the same opinions. Right. So we are saying uh, we're going to pick NPCs from books like Children of the Night, Children of the Inquisition, uh, Red List, any one of those books that's like, hey, here's a whole swath of characters that you can pick from, even, I guess, uh, uh, Knight's Prophecy as well, um, and, and supplement books, like uh, storybooks and stuff. Any, any of those are fair game. Because because a bunch, of, a bunch of characters that appeared in the books of characters ended up showing in other places, they ended up showing in adventures, they ended up showing in city books, and sometimes they appear in more than one, and they kind of weave themselves into the tapestry of the overarching story, etc. And while probably a case could be made that you had to appear in more than one book, or be referenced on some level in more than one book in order to be a full-on signature character rather than just an NPC, quote-unquote, sort of like a uh, color character who's in the background, um... I think I don't know. I I think that it's 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 a richer experience if we just talk about a any character that was published. This is true, and the more characters show up in things, the more they tend to wear out their welcome. Agreed. And so uh, it, that makes it more and more difficult. Yeah. To 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 go okay. Well, if you have to show up in n number of books, then we are going to be left with oh, a lot boy. of characters that people are annoyed with uh. because they've either been treated inconsistently. Or they're like the magical pony character that shows up and solves everyone's problems, well, or whatever. You know, a lot, a lot of the characters who get kind of um, saddled with the signature character baggage uh, are also fall into that non-illustrious position of being what people call Mary Sue's, meaning they're kind of omnicompetent and everywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that the sin here is that. A lot of these characters are, I, I believe, I believe, I've harbored this belief for many years, and if somebody wants to write in or call in and prove me wrong, then do it. Um, but I, I think these are I think these are player characters from the developers, you know? And they started off being like, oh, i got to write this book, let's play through it a little bit. And then they put their chums' PCs in there. And then as they play through different scenarios, their chum keeps playing their same fucking thing, which is why they show up in fucking everything. Well, there's an entire clan that was somebody's player character, like the Tremere. They were Mark Ryan Hagen's player character, and they ended up as an entire clan, and their clan weaknesses were too loyal to each other, and it's just like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, so I mean, we've, we've, we cast kind of a wide net here in terms of the definition of what it is we're looking at. So bear with us in that in that regard. Now, there is one thing that we're not going to discuss, and we've already kind of staked that out in, in the broadest possible terms, but here's why. Uh, the, the signature characters, the ones that they made comic books out of and they made action figures the out clan of. Clan novels. And they put in the, the fucking clan novels. Illustrations. The covers of every revised edition clan book. We're not going to touch those guys. Uh, these guys are not interesting to us. I think that if you like them, I guess that's your problem, but we don't, and I think that it's obvious why we don't like them, and if you read the fucking books and you 
and you don't like them, then you know why you don't like them. You know why these fucking guys suck. And having us sit here for an hour and chew on your ear and tell you why they're terrible isn't doing you any good. It's certainly not doing us any good. So we're going to spend the next hour or so talking about maybe some stuff that maybe if might have flown under your radar. And then just maybe I think you'll get a certain sense of our personal perspectives on the game just overall. Uh, so you're not going to hear us talk about Beckett, who sucks, or Lucida, who sucks, or Anatole, who's in fucking everything, yeah. okay? He's in every, every goddamn book. Uh, He's Vicos, on the cover of Children of the Night. <laughs> Dude, with Vicos, who started off, and Beckett. Vicos, who started of off cool and then got way overexposed. Vicos, who was rad in Constantinople, but, but then by the time you're in uh, Transylvania Chronicles 4, you're like, get me out of here. Yeah, I never want to see this guy again. Is how is this guy everywhere that he needs to be? Anyway, so um, let's get down to brass tacks. We're gonna start off with a couple. Each one of us is gonna present one that we like. We're gonna go a little ring, and then we're gonna do another ring of ones we like, and then we're gonna get down to the ones that suck. We're all gonna put one forward that sucks. So uh, who wants to start? Who wants to lead this off? Oh, come on! Don't be bashful. Somebody do it. Well, I'll start off this ring. I'm going to start off this ring with uh, Lombok as one that I absolutely love. All right. Lay it on me. Why? Well, first of all, okay, kinda, so, so, first of all t- tell, tell everybody, kind of give people a sense of who Lombok is. All right. Lombok, for those who don't know, is a Methuselah from Clan Zimache. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he existed before Transylvania Chronicles as an entity, but he was really, I guess, more familiarized to people through Transylvania Chronicles, in which... He plays a role in the Anarch Revolt, and he is the only sole witness to the failure that is Lugosia's diablery of the Zimishi Antediluvian. Well, he's not the only witness, because Lugosia also well, witnessed. Lugosia, <laughs> yeah, well, he's in a sorry state at yeah. that point. <laughs> he is in a very sorry state at that point. Um, well, Lombok's the, the front row seat. Yeah, Lombok's the only one that, that like survives that instant as a... Uh, as a uh, as as someone who has knowledge of the fact that the Zimishant Luvian orchestrated his fake oblery and still survived, uh, still survives till modern nights. That was um, the second time the Zimishay Antediluvian avoided death. It was, it was. But uh, the first time was when Salot rolled and, in and and kicked the crap out of him because he thought he was a Bali. Yeah. All, all right, nerds. Tell us more about Lombok. Uh, he ends up, I think, in New York and by Modern Nights, where he is like super depressed and sad, yeah, and like kind of a kind of sad sackish in a little ways about like how how everything was sort of like a failure and and uh, the 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 the, the is like kind of like worthless and and uh, the Anarch Revolt was a failure. So, um, where do you find out about about Lombok? I forget where he was first in. Was it? Was it? Uh, Children of the Inquisition. I thought so. I thought it might be the book. Um, I don't know. For me, the reason why I love Lombok so much is he sort of like typified what I fell in love with, sort of like '90s vampire, like mm. like He's fiction. He's in Children know? of the Night as well, isn't he? Mm, I don't know. I don't, I don't think know so. about that. I don't think so. But thought he, he was. Um, He's in one of the other books. I thought. He, yeah. He's in a bunch of Dark Ages books. I think he gets referenced pretty considerably. He gets in Transylvania Chronicles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely in Transylvania Chronicles. Uh, I think he might have some fairly decent screen time in the uh, revised Zimacy clan book, although I could be mistaken. But there, I don't remember him in there either. If, if you if you go through and you start triangulating all the different Lombok references, he gets a fairly decent amount he of does. screen time. He does not so much that you start rolling your eyes or getting but, sick of him, 
Uh, I think doesn't something end up happening to him in um, the the New York by Night book because he is definitely I mean, I, I'm, there, there's probably some kind of reference to what happened to him. Uh, he might get absorbed or whatever. I can't remember. <laughs> I think everybody gets absorbed eventually. So, um, but 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 I mean, he just sort of typify like you see. I think the picture maybe it's still an Inquisition picture where they have him. I think they they draw him sort of in modern nights with like a leather jacket looking like he could have been a member of KMFDM or whatever. Yeah, yeah. he really does look <laughs> yeah. like Sasha yeah. K. Exactly. Exactly. And that's sort of like, I don't know, that aesthetic or whatever was one of the things that we felt, I fell in yeah. love with back then. So uh, for me, he has a special place in my heart because of that. So um, what would you do with him? Well, like 92. So I got Children of the Inquisition in my, in my hand right here. And this I book came out in 1992. Which is just like, I mean, this is pure vampire gold here. This is still first edition territory. Um, all the illustrations of Lombok are done by Tim Bradstreet, and they're just absolutely gorgeous. They just, I mean, I, I sound like an old guy here, and probably it's because I am, but if you look at these books, it just kind of makes your heart ache a little bit for like a different time when, when like the idea of what was cool and the idea of what was dark was 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 very kind of different. And uh, Lombok definitely, to me, he really spoke to that idea of kind of the dark counterculture that was emerging at that time. The way that, like, the idea of what was goth hadn't been kind of, like, ironed out into, like, a corporate series of adjectives that you could use to market shit to high school kids. Um, he felt he felt gritty, and he felt kind of edgy, and even though he's an older character he he, he still he, has a sort of a young sense about him too exactly he's still a street level character and this is one of the things i loved about early vampire is that it felt like a game that took place in like one room bars that have like too much neon in them and well, like it was a, trying like for a, a gothic punk aesthetic that was and, the whole thing and, was, and, and you know like yeah. rain slicked streets and like you're out in a back alleyway and you're smoking a cigarette and like and like some like some some guy comes up to you in a black leather motorcycle jacket and he's like the primogen of the city you know what i'm saying he's not the, the whole game kind of it, it felt it felt so young it was about that kind of juxtaposition of young versus old you know what i'm saying and lombok he encapsulated that so perfectly as the elder who essentially acts like a twenty-one-year-old punk, right? Yeah, no, it's true. Fucking great. What would you? So what, you're gonna tell me what you do with him? What would you do with him? You're you're running a game. You're running a vampire game. What, what would you? I was thinking about this earlier, and I was like, I was thinking about it through the lens of of what I what I know about V five, right? Mm. And I was like, where would what would Assuming Lombok survives, like the Antediluvian Rising, or Dehenna. whatever. Right. Yeah. Well, he did because the eldest, the the Zimbabwe Antediluvian, the eldest, wanted him to be his his record keeper until yeah. the final nights. So he did very specifically say, "I'm keeping you alive, yeah, so that you can record my testament." Um, and I guess he hasn't given the testament yet, so he must be alive. Yeah, still. so he <laughs> must still be alive. That's another layer of coolness to um, Lombok. I no, think it is. Um, and and sort of where would where does where does he end up in modern nights? He's dissatisfied with Ingenarchs. He's not a member of the Camarilla. The the Sabbat's like kind of like over. He's at war. in the Sabbat, he, but mean, but is he, is he going to join them in some stupid war over with elders that he knows? Well, I mean, that we don't really be? know enough about V five to even say what's going on with the Sabbat well, or I mean, anything. Th- 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 what I've heard, right? The Sabbat's supposed to be at war with the elders. They follow the elders to like take their war the in Middle the Middle East. Yeah, they like 
buggered off there. Yeah. Well, do they say the east or do they say the east? They, they say the what? Like the they said specifically I mean, I the, the, Middle the Middle East, East at one point, yeah. and they said like they followed them back east. So I assume that if we're going by the lore and it being the Babylon cradle. and all of that yeah. and Enoch, that it's the Middle East. But mm, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. I, I, and and I can't imagine like Lombok joining them in their like I have to imagine as a there's a lot of them I can't imagine joining them yeah fruitless endeavor if Lombok is going to be the chronicler of of the eldest then he's going to have to be with him right right what during this the, the Gehenna War he's going to have to essentially it's going to be like Dune right and like but, but, and the eldest is going to be like a big sandworm and Lombok's going to be sitting there like being like oh I guess I'm just watching you kill these fucks or something right. <laughs> Let I me mean, write this down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he killed all these dudes. It was crazy. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. Like it, it just he it, it seems like it seems like he's sort of like a like a almost as a like the goth like the goth punk aesthetic is is dead. Sort of like he's sort of in a place without a home too. Mm. You know, in sort of like V uh, fives sort of like uh, power structures or whatever. If I were gonna run Lombok, I'd probably have him being. I'd, I'd put him in the shadows for the most of the game. I would definitely foreshadow, and I'd, and I'd describe him. I wouldn't say, oh, you see Lombok. I'd describe what he looks like, and then if anybody ever inquired into him, made some roles or whatever, I'd be like, okay, you find out that there's this dude there called Lombok. And then probably in Act 3 or so, I would have bring him to the front. The, the thing I always find sort of interesting, too, is that, is that he's like, he is like actually a believer in like the Anarch movement, you know? Yeah, he, he he's like a true believer. Unlike a lot of people who just sort of uses a rise to power, right? Like even Lugos just wants to fucking get powerful, right? Um, and 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 what's going on with the Cavadakians, Giovanni? They don't give a fuck. They just they want power. It it just it just seems like he actually believes in the cause. He's an idealist. And, yeah, he's an idealist. And then and then his his dreams are smashed, you know, right in front of him, essentially. Yeah, so he's got to bear the curse of eternity. Yeah. Just kind of interesting. It's a good story, and I think that's one of the reasons why. I mean, he's like he's like a he's a well framed vampire character, meaning he's a vampire character that's well framed. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you you definitely he feels like an Anne Rice novel, which is he he comes from an era when those Anne Rice novels were probably being cribbed from a lot more heavily than they are now. Um, how about you, Adam? You, what would you do with this guy? With Lombok? Yeah. Um yeah, like you said, I'd kind of keep him towards the back, and I would I would hint at like that darkness that and that incredible burden that he carries with him. Um, I don't really know how you're going to get at the truth of it, though. Like you're going to have to kind of dance around it towards the end mm-hmm. to get into like he knows something, and it's something very bad and very dark, and you almost kind of want it to be like give the players a moment of triumph, but then undercut it with something that Lombok drops that's like yeah. all of what we have accomplished here is completely meaningless and right. it's for not. I think it's a great idea. Um, and that would be how I'd kind of use him. I'd use him in his prophetic, his dark prophetic role. Yeah, you could kind of like have the players cap off a arc with a big victory and then Lombok kind of like walks out of the shadows and like says something kind of Rod Serling-esque where mm-hmm. he's like, oh yeah, except this was just one big move in the jihad and your guys are a bunch of dupes. And then he lights a cigarette and walks away and everybody's yeah. like, Ugh. Oh, <laughs> oh, who else but Lombok? <laughs> yeah, right. That'd be good. That'd be good. So Adam, what do you got? Who's your first guy? 
My first guy is Francisco Domingo de Polonia. Oh, boy. Mr. He, Sunburn himself. Mr. Sunburn <laughs> himself. So he shows up in uh, a number of books, uh, New York by Night and Children of the Night and uh, a couple others. He's been in a lot of He's stuff. He's been in a lot of stuff. Um, I like him because his backstory was essentially he was just embraced and then sent north into the Americas, not really expected to survive very long on a scouting mission. Um, he's La Sombra, right? He's La Sombra. And then he comes back with all of this knowledge. He's the sole survivor of this mission to go scout out the area. And he's like, hey, if you can uh, get me like a force, I can go back in there and I can can do some stuff and I can take care of this for you. So like, all right, fine. And he continues to succeed upwards. I'm eventually taking the city of New York for the Sabbat, uh, which he holds. And he he's kind of this strategist. And they continue to, he's like, he, he advances in the Friends of the Night, the secret of La Sombra organization. He gets to commit uh, monomacy and diablery and, and advance himself that way. Um, and eventually gets to lead a crusade to take back uh, the East Coast. So he takes back Atlanta. He takes back Washington, D.C. But while he's doing this, he loses New York. Um, and in doing so, it undercuts all of his accomplishments. And all of the other Sabbat then start sharpening their knives for this guy, thinking we're going to come after Francisco Domingo de Polonia now because uh, he he's failed. Now he has the, the sense of failure about him, and, and he's weak, and he's ripe for us to to come after him, uh, which I think gets at like this core notion of the jihad and that eternal struggle of, of the vampires against each other um, and that intrigue and politicking within the Sabbat, that they're not this monolithic block uh, and that they do kind of... F- they they parry and repost against each other just as much as the Camarilla elders do. Um, and I like characters that are flawed and I like characters that have to struggle. And I feel like that's why I like a lot of the Sabat characters more because they are the underdogs um, and they do have these fights that they have to carry out and sometimes against insurmountable odds. Um, and when they achieve victories, a lot of times they are Pyrrhic victories. Uh, I'm thinking of a, a the the not the prince but the archbishop of montreal as well she's another character who's very similar to this where she had a very meteoric rise but then also a a fall um associated with it and i I just kind of like that idea of this character kind of up against the ropes who's having to continually prove himself so Um, what would you do with him like what like like if you're gonna use this guy in an adventure what would you do so if I was going to use him in an adventure it would either be he would be uh an antagonist in a chronicle for New York uh, where the characters were playing either Independence or Camarilla. Um, or if you're doing Sabat, I would use him as essentially like a patron or an ally of the characters who's trying to get back into the good graces of the Sabat, who knows that he's messed up and he's trying to redeem himself. Um, and the player characters can either help him or hinder him in that effort, depending on, you know, uh, how they feel about him or, or how they want to go with him. I'd probably lose the sunburn. I think it's kind of a ridiculous conceit. The, the sunburn to me has always been a real sticking point with this character. I feel like it's just to get at the, that, that there's that idea of the La Sombra and their obsession on their image. Um, if I wanted to give him a similar thing, I'd have him have a very minor scar or something like that. Uh, so that if you want to play up that whole La Sombra, I can't see my image and therefore I am obsessed with what I look like. Uh, you could go that route with it. I think the sunburn's a little silly. Yeah, that's the that's the problem with the 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 character and like uh, La Sombra are a big deal clan for me. I love La Sombra, and 
I'd say that my love affair with them ran kind of like parallel to my love affair with the Zimacy, and it's always been this kind of like incrementally more or less than the other one. You know, right. I, 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 I could go either way so easily. They're a and, lot of fun as clans. Like, they're both yeah. really fun clans. I like the Giovanni a lot, too. It's like there's just a lot of these clans that I really harbor a deep love for because I think they're fun and they're interesting and they're dark. Um, and then there's others that I'm just kind of like, I don't really feel a lot towards this clan. One, one of the classic things about the La Sombra is the, is the Spanish La Sombra who has this very kind of like, you know, Don Diego Vega kind of like power thing going on. And Polonia fits that archetype to a greater extent. But then... I don't know the story of the battle for North America and the story whole, of the battle for New York's the, ridiculous. The you'd whole, have to rewrite it with the helicopters you'd have and the vision thing. So much, but of that's it. why if I were to use him, I'd use him and roll through that differently I, because I don't like the way that they did it. I don't I'm, like the way they did the, the reconquest of New York oh, by the Camarilla. Fuck that shit. I, I probably I wouldn't have him anywhere near New York. Honestly, if I was going to use him, I might do something like a big Sabbath conclave in Mexico City. Uh, or maybe he's in Spain uh, with some Amakinoctis type stuff. Um, I could see using him as either an ally or an antagonist for the PCs. I think he might make a really good antagonist. He could really he could really fuck the pan- the the PCs in like I a, was just a thinking great that way. myself actually. Mm-hmm. Good antagonist. Yeah, yeah. I think uh-huh. he I think he'd be fun to fight. Uh, but without like monomacy and without like combat and stuff. Um, no, like somehow the PCs are like, are like, uh, in the way of his like re-rise to power or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be right. Very- I think he's such a mover that you would have to have him executing a scheme. And like I said, the PCs could either support it or oppose it. Like, like the PCs are like, like involved between like a struggle between he and someone else or something. You mm-hmm. know? It would be very easy to to do this kind of like Anthony Hopkins meets Antonio Banderas kind of thing, where he's like the the doting mentor who's like trying to like uplift the PC coterie, and I think that that would just be a waste. And it would it would you you'd lose the horror. I think you don't, I mean, want, to, you don't no, want to use no him good as guy Sean Connery's. Here. You don't want <laughs> no to use him as Sean Connery in the Highlander. Well, I, 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 give, I, him, I, give him a Welsh a Welsh Spanish accent. I I I, I kind of um. I'm trying to think. Well, all right. Thanks. Thanks, guys. My train of thought's completely Sorry. derailed. Uh, let's see. Who's my first guy? Since we're on well, this. Does Ben have any way you'd use him? Or? I thought we just talked you about just it. just write him Did off. You... No, no. I, I would use him as an antagonist. I like okay. that idea quite a bit. Fair enough. Let's see. My first one, since we're all doing uh, Sabbath characters here, my first one is going to be kind of like a little bit of different different note because I'm uh I'm hitting somebody who's like not not as well known a character. It's like a deep cut. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh okay. So if you look on page uh, 109 of Montreal by Night, because of course it was going to be Montreal by Night, right, guys? Um, oh, I can never say this guy's first name. Massage, Massage. I don't know. Zarnovich, the Angel of Cruelty. I usually don't say his first name. You just call him Zarnovich when I run him. Now, Zarnovich is a very interesting character to me. He's a Zimacy. He's uh, he's got like an okay generation. He's uh, well, he's seventh, right? But he's embraced fairly late, only in only in the eighteen hundreds. And uh, he is he's in Montreal, and he is the sort of like uh, uh, pack leader of this kind of. Um, 
twisted, uh, freakish circus that is a pack inside of Montreal. And you can run it as a nomadic pack. I think they kind of encourage you to. Um, so that you can you can kind of bring these guys in. It, it's it, the the pack is called you know aptly enough Zarnovich's Circus. You can kind of weave him in or out um, depending on what's going on in the city. But uh, his background's kind of weird. He 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 has a kind of a non sequitur background where he starts out being like a, as a as a mortal. He's a he's a human uh, medical student and he's all into medical stuff. And then like he uh, gets embraced and then he opens a circus. And you're like, okay, that's a little weird. So I feel like he'd probably want to like write something in there. He'd probably, maybe he might want to uh, alter his background a little bit. The well, medical- doesn't he attract attention? Cause he's performing some like medical experiments that are not necessarily on the up and up. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the, um, the, the he's got the classic Zimacy thing where he's right. like, he's like, he's, the and medical that kind of experimenter continues into guy. his vampire things, it does. thing too, where he's like he kidnaps old people and children and experiments on them and yeah, yeah, that's 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 kind of his trope, and he turns them into into these like pieces of his circus. But the thing is, is like why somebody who spent their entire life being a doctor then wakes up and says, "I know, I shall turn this into circusry," is a little bit. I, I think that's a bit of a jump that you might want to work with a little bit. Uh, his aesthetics, I think, are really great because he has a little bit of the kind of like old world zimacy kind of feel to him. Uh, he doesn't. He's not necessarily like a bondage guy. He's not like a cenobite dude. He his uh, facial modifications, the body modifications he's done to himself via vicissitude are subtle. So he has a he has a somewhat unearthly appearance, but it's not like he can't walk around in public. Um, and then the way that they describe him wearing these kind of like black clothes that are kind of like long, kind of like ghastly looking, I think are, is really great. Um, I've used him in almost every game I've ever run on some level. I, I used him in uh, the I one. I remember Prague. I used him in Montreal by Night the first time I, I ran that. Yeah. I used him in Prague. I, re, I repurposed him for a Requiem game in mm-hmm. Prague. And in Prague, I actually repurposed him as a um, as a uh, uh, a puppeteer, remember? Yes. Like, uh, instead of doing the circus thing with the Kissitude, because that's not in Requiem, I had him carving puppets. And uh, I think he was a Ventru. Maybe he was a Deva. I can't remember. Anyway, um, I don't think I ever knew what clan he was as a player in that game. Yeah, I don't think that it ever came up, unlike in, in Masquerade, where these, things, these things come up quite a bit. And then recently in my Giovanni Chronicles game, I uh, planted his sire in. I had his sire pass through the background of a of a of a scene, and so setting the stage for him to show up later, which he will. Um, I think that he's really great to use at the center of a much bigger um, of a much bigger plot. I like to use him as the guy who's like the spider at the center of a web and he pulls strings that people don't know are there that while like more powerful and more obvious characters are kind of like carrying out their battles against one another and they're overlooking him because he's he's kind of modest and reclusive and eccentric um that he ends up being the guy who's at the center of everything, I kind of almost to to create a corollary, kind of like what's his name, varies on uh, Game oh, of Thrones. Game of Thrones, the spider. Yeah, yeah like a, a guy like that who 
whose power is not obvious, but he manipulates people subtly. Um, and I've used him that way in every game I've run. I'm, I'm completely in love with the character. Uh, I've used him before. I'll use him again. Highly recommend him. Oh, and another last point, final point. I think he's great for the street level game. And I, I, I there's there's a certain there's a certain sort of like threshold I don't like to break with a vampire. Once you start getting into this certain point where it's like hidden temples and penthouse uh, fortresses and shit like this, I start losing interest. I like the street level vampire game and uh, Zarnovich. You know, you have his circus kind of blow in, and like neonate characters can interact with it, and silly level characters can interact with it, elder characters can interact with it, but he's fucking perfect for those neonate encounters where they go to the circus and they get drawn into his web, um, or they need something and they know that there's this freakish guy who lives on the outskirts of town with his traveling circus and they gotta go to him to get it. Um, that so that's that's how I use him and that's why I love him. I think that the I don't know how how I'd use him in terms of plot, but what I would do is is he's definitely a tone setter, right? Like mm, like he he he's the guy to get it back on track in the horror sense. You know, he he and his creepy fucking circus with the 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 the, the weird like mutant fleshcraft and whatever else you want to bring in there to set the set the tone for. This is going to be a goddamn horror game now. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, it, if it ever gets off the rails, or 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 if you just want to bring it right off the bat to start it, I sort of like it as a sort of a creepy interlude kind of idea. You know, like like something that happens maybe has a little bit of effect on the overarching plot of whatever you're running, but 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 it but it helps like regrow like the tone to where you want it. Like some some nice like uh, some Clive Barker body horror. Yeah. And yeah. then you shunt him it, off I mean, and you get back to the. Point. I mean, it's a lot of classic notes, right? You've got mm-hmm. body horror. You've got like 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 creepy creepy circus horror. I mean, it's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A little bit of Ray Bradbury yeah. there. Yeah, for sure. We got we got Adam. You have thoughts? So I've always found the idea of the vampiric circus um, a little too on the nose and silly, and I, I love wouldn't it. use it. I don't I love like it. it. I, I just say? wouldn't use it. The character I like better than him is actually his child uh stephanie yeah uh, the pack priest who's like hideously burned and has an appearance of zero and is about uh vampiric metamorphosis and not like tinkering with humans um and i think she's like a really dark compelling kind of character out of montreal that that hits those same kind of horror notes in the same like she just doesn't care what she looks like. Um, and she's mutilating herself horribly on a nightly basis, um, as part of her, her path and, and trying to advance herself. Um, I think she's a dark character. I'd probably use her instead of him. Fair. Fair. All right. So who's up next? Is, are we back to Adam or no, you were first. All I'm right. going to put forward, uh, as a, as a character that I love is Claudius Giovanni. Mm. I sort of, I sort of love these like failed characters. He's sort of another failed character, right? Oh, he's well, a big it's time interesting. failure. Anyone yeah. who succeeds all the time is boring. Yeah, no, it's like, true. Hey, I do everything right all the but, time, and I'm amazing. Like, all right, I don't want to hear about that character. But, There's no drama there. He's, he's like, <laughs> I think if I remember right, he's Augustus's first child. I think if I remember right, then yeah, yeah, I think he's Augustus' first child. I'm sure we're he's got like sort of like that like something. privileged, privileged like like debauchery going on all the time, 
And 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 even like the the task that he eventually is like supposed to succeed, he never can really succeed. Like he fails miserably at like everything. He tries yeah. To do, until he, until finally like uh, uh, Augustus had enough, and he's like, "I'm gonna sell you out to the capuchin." Here you go. Like, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. And and I, you know, I gotta say that this time around we're playing Giovanni Chronicles. I think it's, I don't know if I'd have made this choice. Um, you know, like months ago before we started playing Giovanni Chronicles. I think that this time around, I've sort of been enjoying more sort of like the weird horror that is like the creepy fat man with the fucking, <laughs> with the fucking, uh, 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 like, like stroke damage or whatever that like, that like, it's just so debauched and crazy and just horrendously like, like, I don't know, uh, uncaring and hedonistic and, and, uh. I don't know. I think I think he's a great character. I've been ratcheting it up this time. I mean, I'm playing him differently than I did the first time. The first time I did it, I I, I kind of was a bit more kind of like to what they ask of of you, where he's kind of there's, he's more like more braggadocio. I mean, he's more like a classic Giovanni in the in in the way that he's written uh, in in Giovanni one. I mean, he's like he's like just straight out of the book. You know what I'm saying? But um, I think his character has so much. Uh, capacity for just just unbelievable horror yeah and the the giovanni themselves i think people get caught up in doing this kind of like like mafia accountants thing with oh, them that's boring and i'm just like i just have I mean, no use for it i i, I just i just want to see these guys like doing necrophilia in a sewer with like ghosts around them you know i mean so so i think like i said if if this had been a few months ago i wouldn't have chosen claudius in fact i probably would have chosen chosen ambrosino right because i like i like him a lot too another great character but but, um but but he is terrific in a totally different way he's just like uncaring in his pursuit of like wanting to become a god essentially and anything and everything gets in his way. He smashes or whatever he has to do. Yeah, it's um, it's very interesting, and 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 I like sort of juxtaposition, juxtaposition between he and Claudius, and how like successful, maybe not in his end goal, he hasn't been successful at, but like how Ambrosino is actually like working to get there, and Claudius yeah. is like he's like failing his way like towards death. Yeah, you know, the yeah. whole time. That is one of the great things about Claudius is the way that he does eventually kind of fail out of the jihad. Yeah, I do like that about him. And, and yeah, he, there's there's no place in the game of, game of elders for this character who's who should actually have a greater understanding of what's going on around him, but is so like concentrated in what's what's physically around him right now. He, the way that he fails out is part of the big uh, Cappadocian mystery, and I, that was never brought to a satisfactory conclusion for me. And I hope mm. that with V five coming out, that they address. Well, maybe left- Lore of the Bloodlines has something in it with the Harbingers of Skulls. I don't know. Oh, did uh. they put more? Did, did they did they tighten that up a little bit? Because it was. All I, I have no vague. idea. I don't have it, so oh. I, I don't know. I'm yeah, hoping because it it's always one of those big, like, open, empty spots. I'm hoping we don't get just more pages and pages well. of the Casid because I really don't have a lot I'd like to do with them. But I'd like to know more about the Harbingers. Yeah, me too. I mean, I mean, even the character of the Capuchin, right, ties into. No one really knows who he is, but they think right. he might be Lazarus or whatever. And yeah, I don't know. It's it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I think that the the Cappadocians was one of those things that they didn't quite know what to do with it when they first started it, and they kind of flailed in a bunch of different directions as they were trying to figure it out. Like, is it this the Samedi? Is this the Harbingers of Skulls? Are there still Cappadocians around? I think it turns that, out the answer is all of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, there are because there's Cappadocians in uh, V20, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's there's a, there's a blood, Cappadocian bloodline. So it's all. Play. Of them. They're, they're like, all of them. 
Yeah, like, like mm. remember Mariana or whatever? How, wasn't she supposed to be the last Cappadocian? Uh, yeah, anyway, whatever. Um, what do you got, Adam? Any thoughts on Claudius? Um, I haven't really played through or or run Giovanni Chronicles, so I'm not super familiar with him. I mean, I know of him, um, but I don't really have any experience with him. All right, fair, fair. So, who's your next guy then? My next guy is kind of in a similar theme, but less less focused worldly, more focused spiritually, but suffers a downfall for similar reasons. It's Yorak, uh, the Voivod of Voivods. So sweet. Uh, so Yorak is a child of the Zimisha Antediluvian, the eldest. Um, and Yorak actually, uh, he was one of the ones who relocated the clan to Transylvania um, and started building what was called the Cathedral of Flesh. Um, and in so doing, he started communing with uh, an entity that dwelled in the land there called Kapula, um, who is some kind of Malfiac entity. It's never clear if he's a bane or if he's a demon or yeah. what he is exactly. Um, and so when the eldest is struck down by the uh, by the salubri who roll in thinking that they're waging war on the Bali, uh, Yorak actually becomes his caretaker and and takes him into the cathedral of flesh to care for him uh years go by and yorak continues his study of of coldenism and vicissitude eventually formulating the path of metamorphosis alongside the eldest who is also training in these things um it's not clear at what point the eldest leaves the cathedral um but yorak essentially uh continues building this gigantic edifice to his and is so lost in his own explorations of what uh, metamorphosis is and what he is as a being and, and what heights he can attain that he starts losing sight of, of what he's actually building, like what yeah. he's doing. Um, and, and it all kind of culminates when he, uh, in the Transylvania Chronicles, when he summons Vlad Dracula, who he's heard about from the other Zimache, thinking that he will be the one to gift him with the embrace. Um, and as he goes to embrace, embrace Vlad Dracula, this, this cathedral that he has built, this monstrous edifice of, of torture and pain, uh, rises up against him and diabolizes him, um, uh, effectively killing him. And and Vlad and the player characters have to have to flee for their lives. Essentially, they're like they're ejected out of the cathedral in a pretty graphically gross um, uh, kind of you know uh, almost scatological fashion by this by this giant edifice, which then sinks into the ground. Um, and disappears. And later, uh, uh, a Bali coven actually ends up like taking up residence in the Cathedral of Flesh somewhere else. Um, it eventually consumes them uh, bodily and then uh, disappears more permanently. And it's never really referenced ever again after that. Doesn't it show up in that uh, video game? <sighs> Which one? The, Redemption? The, the Bloodline? That's not Yorak's. Oh. Cathedral of Flesh. It's a different Cathedral of Flesh. So, and there's actually a Cathedral of Flesh in the sewers of New York in either Gehenna or New York by Night that the eldest has Eldest's built pretty, itself. Yeah. Um, so this Cathedral of Flesh concept keeps coming up over and over again, tied to the Zimachay and tied with Metamorphosis. But Yorak is just this character who is so insane and so deranged and so inhuman. Um, when you're playing Transylvania Chronicles, he's really interesting to introduce the player characters to. So they get this sense of, of just how deep this hole goes and how vile and uh, reprehensible, like the, the inner core, like the rot at the core of Clan Zimache, this black heart. If, if I remember correctly too, he's so far removed from like anything even remotely like human form that he's like agendered too. 
so he appear he appears in different forms. Like mostly he appears as like this wizened old man, but he doesn't have a true form. Yeah. Like there's no true body of Yorak. There is no true Yorak. At alternate times, Yorak is a she. Uh, an androgynous creation or this wizened old man. It really doesn't matter. And the old man is to throw people off because he doesn't, you know, he looks feeble and he's stooped and he walks with a cane and, and he limps. So you ran uh, Transylvania Chronicles, right? right. And so mm-hmm. you've used Yorak. I've used then. Yorak, So yes. how'd you use Yorak? Uh, I essentially used Yorak much the way he was presented in the book. He is this he is this crazed entity that, that that is a force of nature that you essentially have to do what he says. You don't have a choice. And he is going to inflict horrors upon you and make you witness things that are going to strain your humanity or your other path that you're on because he is about metamorphosis and making you evolve, um, whether you want to or not. Um, and he is just going to expose you to all of these dark and terrible things and then ultimately get his comeuppance and, and be consumed by his own creation. Uh, which I think is great. I love that whole like that rise and fall. And and unlike Claudius, who's who's caught up in worldly matters, his head's so far up in the clouds that he doesn't see <laughs> what's coming. Yeah, that's I like a really that. good juxtaposition. I, I, I dig it. I want to say that when when this topic was presented to me to be on the show, my first character I said I wanted to do was Yorak, and which which Brennan said Adam's already said Yorak. Yeah, yeah. I love Yorak because because I to me because I played in that in that Transylvania Chronicles mm-hmm. game with you. Yeah, I imagine you have some strong opinions about this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Adam's passion for that character really came through. I think much sort of how like your passion for Claudius is coming through in this in this run of Giovanni Chronicles. Adam's passion for Yorak came through in that game, and uh, I, I, he just—he was just a great character. He was—he was—he was amazing. It was now, fun. How would you? How would you handle Yorak if you were going to run him? If you were a GM, you're going to run what you do. Ah, uh, I Yorak is so alien and so strange that he can't be anything other than like an antagonist on some level. I don't know, like in in some way, an antagonistic to the party. Not necessarily. Not necessarily like. He, he's against the party, but the party has to sort of be against him on some level. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like he's just you, like, you have to deal with his schemes. At some point you're going to intersect with just, his schemes. Just deal with his alien. And you have to deal with that. Him. Like that, like is, is threatening to you. Um, I have on a number of occasions read through Transylvania by night and I've read through the first couple of Transylvania Chronicles books. And I'm putting a lot of that, that knowledge into the Giovanni Chronicles game that we're running currently because a lot of those events take place concurrently. But never have I been able to successfully run Transylvania Chronicles. I feel it's like it's like a fucking this mark against me that I can't get that game going. And one of the things about it that's always bothered me is that I can't really, I can't get my hands around Yorak. I can't. He's like he's like an eel. With the idea of him always like slips away from me. The whole thing about him appearing as the wizened old man it bothers me. I don't like the metamorphosis thing where he like shucks bodies guess, and takes on new ones. I end up not even really liking the cathedral of flesh all that much. I, I guess I guess one of the things that when I think about it, right, um, when you start talking about the cathedral of flesh and what it will, I guess one of the imagery that stuck with me. Is 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 actually out of Moorcock's books? Mm. If you remember, like the pulsing pulsing caverns or whatever, where he goes to find like Stormbringer, right? Mm. Oh, those things were like they were like made out of like membranous flesh, and they were pulsing with like a heartbeat. And that 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 sort of imagery, I guess, stuck with me at a, at a, at a fairly young age when I read those books. And it was just sort of like brought out again. He has to be almost a force of nature. Just this. No, that's that's exactly what you guys are talking about him. And when you're talking about how the the characters have to be his adversary, it's almost like the way the characters have. 
the, like a, a hurricane is not mm. trying to kill you, right? But you're caught in but it. You're caught in, which means that you're against it. It's in a, a lot way. like yeah. if you've you've read Constantinople. Oh yeah, it's a lot like Michael in Constantinople. Right. You're not going to go up against that guy, but right. at some point you are going to interact with him in some fashion. Sure. Uh, just because he is this fourth generation thing that exists, who is completely alien and outside of your experience. Um. And uh, and you're gonna have to deal with him in one one form or another. And actually, that is where the Zimache Antediluvian ends up going, isn't it? The 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 Draken ends up. Yes, that, well, that was the first time dealing, he died, right? Was the was was Salat, but the, but he ends up going from the Cathedral of Flesh to the Draken. Or yeah, whatever. and, and oh, I think he like of, he like regrows himself inside Draken. Yeah, he does. Like he regrows oh, himself inside of him. So that's where he goes from the Cathedral. That's why he's not consumed with the Cathedral when it goes demonic or chthonic or whatever it does where, yeah. where it consumes Yorak and then disappears. The, uh, the Zimacy NPC out of Transylvania by Night that I always felt more connected to was uh, Shaagra. Ah, okay. And uh, she, she's she's a similar power level, but she's d- didn't have like the metamorphosis thing going on. To me, she's a little bit more like a standard kind of like old clan Zimacy. Uh, she might have she might have vicissitude. I, I'm not. I don't have her in front of me. Lombok but- was actually originally supposed to embrace her, and Yorak said no, um, and let her the, the her sire embrace her in place of Lombok, and Who it was is- like this. Because her she's like fifth generation, I think. Yeah, I think so. And I, she, I, I seem to remember it was generation. like this. I seem to remember there was something with Lombok and her, where it was like a sticking point for Lombok and like soured him on Yorak, which led to a lot to his like anarch ideals and. Mm. and to to me, Shaagra is like one of the most interesting characters. I think that because when I was running, when I was planning my Transylvania Chronicles game, I couldn't really get my hand around my hands around Yorak. I was like, well, there's got to be somebody else in here. And so right. I started reading Shaagra and really thinking about her a lot and kind of like imagining her as being sort of like this primordial, almost like a godlike creature that was dwelling inside the mountain, which is not that different on some level mm-hmm. than what you're talking about with, with Yorak. Right. But just the way that she comes at it more differently where she's almost like this like weird demigod warlord, whereas uh, Yorak is this is, is, is this weird demigod hermit. Right. And I just, she's and, more worldly, I think. No, I she mean, is. She I liked is. when I was running Shadows of Chronicles. My other favorite Zimache character was actually uh, the sire of of uh, uh, Durr's character, uh, Dimitri Corza. Oh, like that guy. <laughs> I loved him. He was great. Is he, is he in the? No, he was uh, one that I made. Oh, up. He well. was a character I made up, and he was just a, a blast to play. He was so much fun. <laughs> um, he was he was so awful to Durr. We'll have to do he that really sometime was. where we'll talk about guys that we made up. Yeah, then to, uh, to 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 field into these games. I guess that brings it back to me, huh? Yes, it does. Um, all right, my second character is actually not even a vampire. Sort of a little, little off topic here, but don't worry, it's nothing lame like a werewolf. Um, my uh, second character is from the uh, much maligned book of. Uh, Adventures, Knights of Prophecy from the years, Year of Revelations, and it's coincidentally, guys, from the adventure that takes place in Montreal, and it introduces a new character whose name is uh, Rania, and she is a Dobby Revenant ghoul, and uh, I used her to great effect when I ran Montreal by Night back in the early aughts or whatever. Um, if you remember... The Dobby are a um, 
Revenant Ghoul family that were created by the Bali, but then got their own. Um, they they kind of won their independence from the Bali, and are uh, these sort of dark, chthonic occultists that um, hang out in the. When you think about kind of like gothic horror cities, you might think about like London and, you know, Paris and New York and stuff. But the Dobby can be found in more kind of like Middle Eastern settings. They can be found in in the Orient. Uh, They can be found in North Africa. And they always had to me like this different kind of flavor. Whereas some of the gothic horror occultism that came from that was so prevalent in these books ordinarily uh, was very kind of like white, like Alistair Crowley, kind of like uh, Thelmic kind of occultism. The Dobby had this um, kind of like Abdul Azrod kind of like uh, the the darkness of the Middle East kind of feel to them, kind of like like forgotten Persian temples and like 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 weird things written in Sanskrit and stuff that predates Christianity. And um, they also have a different look, you know. Um, Rania herself is there's not not a lot of words are actually devoted to her in um, the uh, the adventure that she appears in, which is the final one in the book. You can actually find a little stat outline for her on uh, page 159. And it's, it's, I don't know, maybe there's maybe 500 words about her. Um, But when I approached the character to run um, Montreal by night, I was inspired by, and this this may come off kind of shitty. I, I if if it does, I apologize. But I I, I I hope this is a relatable experience. But I think that all of us in our lives as uh, adults who have been out there looking like for sexual partners or whatever, we've all encountered the person who is not conventionally good looking, but for whatever reason exudes a lot of sexual charisma. Right, somebody who you look at and you're like this does not add up to being a good-looking person, but for some reason I'm incredibly intrigued. And that's how I pictured her in my head. I remember I described her as, as, as being like kind of like disfigured, right? She, I think she had like a... Yeah, that sounds like, familiar. I think she had like a limp, and she was kind of like, she was kind of like strange-looking, kind of like kind of homely, but at the same time, she was, uh, she was like, it had a sexual magnetism that she used on all the other PCs and NPCs around her. I, I think my character had more dealings with her than anybody else did. Yeah, a lot. She she was kind of like in secret with you. Like the yeah. two of you were kind of like in cahoots for a while. And um, I made a little kind of like haven for her that she lived in that was like a combination um, occult library and like squalid hovel to sort of like play up the kind of way that I, I wanted her character to to feel like when you meet somebody and they have just like those little crescents of filth underneath their fingernails, you know what I'm saying? You, you and you're kind of like, and you're kind of like, Ugh. you know, you, you kind of like want to pull back a little bit because you're like, oh, that's kind of gross, you know. So I described her haven as having this very kind of like squalid feel to it, and I wanted to have that contrast of like of dirt and grit with like buried secrets, you know. And uh, as a ghoul character, I love, I fucking love Revenant ghoul characters. I'm running one in goddamn Giovanni right now. 
and they are the perfect bridge between human characters and vampire characters. They know a lot about what's going on. They can move equally well in the human world and in the vampire world, but they don't belong to either of these worlds. Um, and you can just make them have a lot going on. You can connect them to elders. You can, they, again, they're part of that street-level game. They're, they're, they're like a good bridge between like humans, ghouls, vampires. Yeah. Yeah. They work on all these levels. Um, now, obviously, this is such a specific character that I wouldn't expect either one of you to have any. Like, I mean, Ben, do you have any strong pe- feelings? You that was that, that we ran that game like almost fifteen years yeah, ago. Yeah, no, and so. I, I, she, I still remember her. That's that that says something. I still remember who she was. I remember that that she was like my ally through a large part of that game. Right. Um, I think that she had a hand of glory, as I recall. Right. Yeah. Like one, her hand had been severed at one point, and she had replaced it with like a necromantic hand that she kept like under a uh, under a glove. And then later on, when you were having your Bali creation rights inside of a like a corpse pit or something. Something similar happened to you. Where you yes, had, you had to cut off your own hand and then replace it with like the living yes. hand of a corpse. Um, that was that was on some of one of the most horrific games we ever played. And I remember your 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 creation rights were just like so so disgusting. I remember them being really disgusting too. Um, it was an interesting time because it, it was it was too much for us at that point. Yeah, it like, was uh, like that was the last session I think we played. Or yeah, second to last session we played was my creation rights, and then we sort of lost track. Yeah, yeah, we I I actually put that game aside because I was I, I hit my own X card on that one. I was like this this game's gross. It's uh, we we had been really. We had been playing in Infernalism. I mean, that's another thing about the Dobby that I've completely overlooked here is that there's this whole Infernalism thing that you can do with them. And I love the Infernalism stuff. I can't stay away from it. Um, And we were really playing it in that game. And that game was about Infernalism, though Montreal City Book overall is is about Infernalism. We we had a real wide range of characters in a sense because my character was was in the know about that. And then we had the other player characters, with the exception of exception of the mysterious Jeff's player player character, mm-hmm. everybody else's player character were sort of like the unwitting dupes. Yeah, <laughs> we're like, we're like yeah. I was like, I was like trying to spread like, yeah. like the evil to these unwitting dupes. And then the mysterious Jeff's character was the hunter. Yeah, he was an inquisitor. An inquisitor trying to root us out. Yeah, um, this this book actually introduces uh, Mercy Knight Inquisitor, who is also in Children of the Night into the Montreal setting, and she's perfect for it. She belongs there. Um, again, you know, Montreal by Night, Knights of Prophecy, Children of the Night, all great tastes that taste great together. Um, does anybody else have any feelings on, on Rania that they want to add? If or- I were going to use a, a Dobby Revenant, um, it would be one of those things that I would keep under wraps um, until probably, like, the final act where it becomes clear that there were wheels within wheels moving um and that you know while you may have thought like one thing was going on a different thing was going on and i i might even just have her be the agent of a different power as well so it's like oh here's this other thing that you haven't you didn't even know anything about you've just been dealing with her this whole time you find out she's and you're like oh so she's a dog she's an infernalist and you find out well yeah but she's just a revenant the actual mastermind is this other entity, you know, just yeah. to kind of like drive the drive the point home. Absolutely. Um, so I could see using the Dobby and that kind of thing. They unfortunately suffer from a really like I hate their picture in the new goals and revenants book. Oh, really? I haven't it's, seen it. It's terrible. Let's see. 
Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Oh God, is yeah, this like it, hot topic looking god yeah, chick? Like Are you serious? I'm your nightmare. That Jack doesn't, Skellington that doesn't shirt. make any fucking oh, sense. I just I just did this whole thing where I was kind of like describing the opening. I mean, seriously, I'm trying to describe what I want to do with the character, right? What I want to do with the Dobby in general. That? And I'm and I'm and what what I'm kind of imagining is is that beginning the very first scene of Hellraiser, right, where it just shows the hands on the table and the camera's moving in on the box, and that guy goes, what's your pleasure, Mr. Cotton? And he does it in the kind of James Hong, Hong voice. But we think, even though it's this, it's this kind of Asian idea of a character that we have here the the setting feels like it's in the middle east and that's one it of really the things does. that's one of the things i love about that scene is this confluence of like the blasphemous occult the magic of the middle east the sort of like mysticism of the orient and the way it's become this this cosmic in this cosmopolitan way and it's all kind of blending together into this one thing and that's what i would do with the dobby and now you show me this fucking picture well, just of consider Jack that Skellington another shirt. check mark against God. ghouls and revenants God. don't get Get that book. Damn it, man! Don't I get fucking that have book. it already. Oh, you already I, bought I that. I fucking have that. How did I not even notice do. that? Ugh. You think I would have just skipped right to the Dobby that's, section? Anyway, what a fail. Um, well, that's fucking disappointing as shit. Sorry, um, sorry, uh, I rained on I your guess, parade. I guess that brings us around to. But that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, the Dodd, those terrible fe- from the no, Ghouls and Remnants book. I was like, they suck. Are we doing like, honorable oh. mentions? Or are we doing dislikes? Oh, next? we're going dislikes. We're doing we still dislikes. have time. We have this time for dislikes. We'll, I just want to make sure we get some honorable mention time. So. All right, all right, all right. We'll get some honorable mention. Go ahead, but Ben, you're leading us off, right? All right. So I'm going to lead us off with uh with probably I guess an outlandish choice, but I really don't like the antediluvian Hakim. I really, really don't I, like this I, I think this is pretty controversial because even though he's in books, well, how are you ever going to encounter this guy? Well, you're, you're probably, you only encounter this guy, I guess, through like through his actions that other people relate to you or whatever. Yeah, all right. Um, That's fair. You've you know, won- like like in, in the fourth century, he was in London having a philosophical discourse with Mithras. <laughs> I guess technically you could play that, yeah, right? But I mean, did, have you ever looked at the the supplemental material? It was never officially released, but it was supplemental material that talks about Urshul Guli, uh, that ancient who, uh, who rose and broke the blood curse with the wave of his right, hand. Right, right. Uh, like, if you get into the material that they cut from the revised Asmites clan book, there is a page in there that reveals that um, he was the child that got thrown into the Bali corpse pit, like in the second city and Hakeem like brought him in and he's essentially turned the entire Asmite organization into like a Malfeic uh, malevolent organization, but nobody knows it. Why well, the fuck I always, did they cut that? That's fucking rad. That's it's rad as hell. I sent it to you. I sent you a link I remember you showing me that. And it's great. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Why would you cut this? If they hadn't cut that, then then Hakeem wouldn't be the good guy vampire that he's been portrayed for so many times throughout. He's like, he's got the problem that Salah had in first edition, where Salah was like, we're the good guy healer philosopher vampire. And then they started making Salah darker. And the, oh, yeah. Salah was edition, like, they started screwed making up all the time. Third, third edition, even more dark, right? Um, and Hakeem sounds like he might have gotten that treatment, but didn't, yeah. which is really unfortunate because... Because he really needed it. Otherwise, well, okay. I mean, because you have those stories about him in the in, in, in Enochian time with with like he was the he was the lawgiver or whatever, you know. 
I mean, every everything just sounded like he was like this, this like good guy superhero type vampire that like play like seems like a lot of people want to play. But a lot of that was the lore of the Asimites, which was handed down from Hakeem himself to the Asimites. So he may have an interest in portraying himself as the good guy. But it's not disputed. It's not disputed by like any any other like sources. Yeah, but who's going to dispute it? I guess. Yeah, the Sedites. I guess. Yeah, but who's going to dispute? I mean, the 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 Sedites are really more focused on say like. All of like sets like mythical god family like Osiris or yeah there and was fucking, that period where Hakeem and Salat were like chumming around like slaying Bali and having a good old time but that, I, that's why I love that idea of Urshel Gully being that that kid from the corpse pit that, that yeah that no that's and, and, and had that and had that had that actually made it there I, that would have been great and I would never put Hakeem on this list at that case well I mean I think a lot of the information that you were using to attempt that reckoning was from a previous iteration of the Asimites and that they did try and kind of like sully him up a little bit in the, the revised edition. But even so in the revised edition, he's just like, you guys are screwing up. You're not meeting up to my high standards. So I'm leaving, you know, and it's kind of like, man, what an a-hole. He he comes off, he comes off kind of like a, like this know-it-all prick in the second edition of the, yeah, he's like like the jock character from a John Hughes film. The, the way, just, the way I remember, like, I'm going to leave because I'm too cool for this. Like, he's, man, fuck he, you, he's almost like the be- like the like the like the asshole paladin. You, that's exactly it. Yeah. He's the that's asshole exactly paladin. It. He's like he's the he's the guy who's like too honorable and too much of a code and too warriorish for all this shit. So he's gonna like drink some bitter tea in the tea garden and then he's gonna leave in disgust. But then like a few years later he's gonna come back with this like stony cold look on his face and like set things right and all this crap. <laughs> I, and he never comes back. Well, he he he. he they do say in the books that he kind of he he shows up every so often. Yeah, he like right? he like he like gives these sort of like weird like cryptic things that like yeah. are meant to separate the I good the good asimites from the bad asimites. He didn't play any part in the Gehenna book, as I recall. I, I don't that, even think he was in it. I think there's this there's this thing in the uh, revised era clan book where there's these kind of like mystical Jesus like sightings of Hakim that happen. Mm. You know how like in the Bible. There'll be these times when, like, the apostles like run into somebody on the road and they'll talk to him for like half an hour, and then at the end they'll realize it's Jesus. <laughs> Surprise! Like, it's like shit like that keeps happening with Hakim, where it's like Asimites will be out in the world and they'll be like riding camels or something, and then at the end they're like, "That guy was Hakim." Ah! Yeah, I don't know. I don't they know. They do that with Cain occasionally too. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, they talk to this guy. I know it was it Cain. Maybe it was lame. Yeah. Lame. Yeah. Anyway, that that's my choice. No, I mean I agree with you in a certain sense. I probably, I mean, in terms of like how I. Would would use him i guess i probably wouldn't i don't really like the idea of having like a fucking antediluvian in my game he, he feels more like a caricature in like every single thing that you read about him he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't feel like a three-dimensional character in anything they've written about him how could any of the antediluvians feel like three-dimensional characters though they're like they're like gods no, that's is god a three-dimensional yeah, character no, but, but, is zeus a three-dimensional but but character but there's so much more sure. monstrous stuff written about zeus all these great. other characers like, like they're, screwing they're up. unfathomably they're unfathomably like evil or whatever but this guy, he's just like an asshole. He's See, just like, yeah. you know. Where I will, where I will differ is the way I would use him. Is I would use him for the Urshaguli reveal, where I'd be like, Hakeem embrace this demon child. <laughs> and See, he's totally screwing up the Asimites. Surprise! I'd just rather use use Urshugi. Right. Like, like, like Ben. Ben was like, 
I'm I'm not gonna lie. I almost put him when we were talking about doing three three three. I guess you we liked when you I, use him for that. He's gonna oh, you get thought about into putting it. him on there. You're not gonna bring Hakeem into it. Yeah, but he's gonna get brought up as a part of it. And I think he's that's brother. how you use bump, him. Bump it. If you use him, that's <laughs> how you're gonna list. use him because he's, he has to be part of that story. He's an integral part of that tale. He's, and, and I think it dirties up him and his entire clan a, a good amount. But I would keep him off scene. Oh I'm yeah, not, no, I'm he's not gonna show up and be like, I do. I do. Characters running around all the time, being like, "I'm here, guys." I'm not gonna have the Zimache Antediluvian ever show up either. I'd use Lombok instead. I'm not gonna have uh, the the Abyss show up. I'm going to use like Graciano or one of those guys. I, I think you know? I just said something like, "Oh, I don't want an Antediluvian in my game," but like the fact of the matter is, I'm running Giovanni. Yeah, there's an Antediluvian like, like in your ten game. Ten yeah. in my game, <laughs> yep. and I've run them before. Yeah, uh, I've used Zimache. Has been in my game because I did Transylvania Chronicles. Zimache was in it. Yeah. He was there, and uh, Lasombra was in it too. I, I because I like, you guys played through the Anarch. I like uh, the mm-hmm. idea of playing the antediluvians kind of like the weird god aliens from the Stargate movie, the first one, where you, they're kind of like just sitting on these thrones and they speak with these weird voices and their eyes are kind of like absent slash glowing. I mean, I kind of like, I, I think that they should be and, played and kind maybe of Maybe like, they have like jackal heads, like set or whatever. They should, they should be <laughs> as chthonic as possible. They should be kind of like the king in yellow. Mm. Like there should be super fucking weird. Yeah, see, I don't like ever want you seeing over their face. there, like, like I way think they over there. Be- totally obscured when you deal with them yeah no, I, I like that i, th- I don't think you that. should ever see their form i think it should just be like like you know like zimache should be this undulating mass underneath like a robe and the sombra should just be like wisps of the abyss kind of like coming well, I mean, out that's from fine it. if like you're playing an uh, antediluvian that's like uh an anthropomorphic thing which a lot of them kind of are but like I'm getting to this point where we're gonna have like Erkel another or in, Ishtar or whatever. Like in another two sessions, we're gonna be uh, the thing where we got in the counter Cappadocius again, and I'm and I, and I am not doing what I did before. Remember okay. how lame that was? Ugh, flying Cappadocius. He's supposed to fly in fucking books. Anyway, so lame. Couldn't Cappadocius just that. inhabit a corpse to like talk to the players? Like a well, shambling corpse could. I'm yeah, not gonna but, talk but, to them on behalf they, of Cappadocius. They, but at, at some point. He has to encounter Augustus, so Augustus can diabolize him. He can't just have a bunch of corpses walking around. Well, I know. I'm just saying if they have to talk to him, but I don't. Well, I, just, I, I don't know. I think at the point where he encounters him. Augustus, like maybe he's just this torpid, non-projecting body who 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 installs his consciousness into corpses to go out and talk to people, and that's how he encounters. Giovanni, they find his torpid form or something. Well, I don't know. I'm yeah, just but, spitballing. But, but at, the, at the at the climax of Giovanni Chronicles, they witness his his diablery. That's right. What, so you got, I got to come up with what he looks like, and I've been fucking breaking my brain trying to do oh, it. Oh, see, I'd just have him be this, like, desiccated corpse, like, on a <laughs> on a slab somewhere, and the Giovanni, like, roll into it where where his where his body he's, is. He's, he's sort of an interesting character, right, in the sense that he's, like, supposed to be totally fucking nutso, right? Like, No, it's true. They're like, all insane. Well, it's, yeah, but, 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 I mean, he specifically talked about as being insane. More so than even, say, like... Malkavians or Malkav, even. I mean, he's just like mm-hmm. gradually driven himself into insanity. Malkav is demontation, though. He is insane. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, we're so far off topic. Anyway, yeah. uh, that was your that, that was, was your, my dislike. That was your nay. What Adam? What's your nay? My nay is uh, a character who doesn't really show up anywhere except in in I guess it's a series of books. Um, and for the impact that she has discussed having in those series of books, oh boy. you think she'd show up in other things, but she doesn't. It's Kementiri from the Red List. She's the number one. She's held the number one slot on the Red List since the Red List was created. Um, and she is this character who, individually, the things in her background are not a problem. 
The problem is when you pile one on top of the other, <laughs> on top of the other, on top of the mm. other, you end up with this character who is completely flipping ridiculous. So she starts out as this uh, person that set sends into the cult of Isis to infiltrate them. Um during one of the dynastic reigns. Um, and she goes there. And then she becomes a true believer in the cult of Isis. And learns about the spell of life. And then Set comes and goes, hey, um, cool and all. Oh, and she interacts with Horus, too. And then uh, Set comes and is like, hey, I need you to let me know what they're up to. And she's like, nope, I can't. So Set tries to uh, dominate her. She, she can't be dominated. Uh, Set tries to bind her. She's unbo- She's unbondable. Um, she's all those shitty flaws that I don't let people take. Yeah. <laughs> and so set, um, it, and she's learned the spell of life and she wants to use the spell of life to become a mummy, to become an all powerful mummy. Uh, so set embraces her to deny her that. Um, and then he traps her in, uh, oh, and she's super beautiful, by the way. She has an appearance of eight. She's gorgeous. Oh, shit. She's fantastically beautiful. Wow, that's so really set high. entombs her. Uh, and then, uh, she sees the guard peering at her every day through, through the door. Um, and so, she uses her great beauty and, and the blood that's in her to to will this guard to let her out. So then she uh, drains the guard and runs through Set's labyrinth and escapes and goes back to uh, the cult of Isis. Set, in a, in a fit of rage, um, finds out and, and comes and destroys them. Uh, and then she goes and she, like... Uh, she descends into Wasail after this because she's so torn up about her, her horrible dark past and the fact she can never become a mummy like she wants and the fact that Horus rejected her when she came back to see him and said, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, and so she descends into Wasail. And then the children of Osiris find her and develop the discipline of Bardo to cure her of her Wasail. Oh no, Bardo! <laughs> and so she then comes back from that and then Set destroys the children of Osiris again trying to get to Kementiri because he's, he's so intoxicated with her and she's so beautiful and he's so obsessed with her his child his wayward child um so then she begins this this, somebody's player character isn't she it? becomes this this is anatole this character who who recur who like who is constantly going through time with like this low humanity where she starts impersonating other people so she pretends to be you know other vampires and eventually going so far as to pretending to be the venture justicar for 10 years like and as part of this she diabolizes you and has a, a level of presence ability that allows you to take on that person's aura so her deception is is perfect it's complete um and and it's just it's too much yeah there's and oh and she's yeah. mithras's girlfriend too i forgot she's Everybody a girlfriend knows mithras, of mithras man in yeah. london think mithras was a pc and so she's kicking he, around he has the feeling of a pc and so he, she's kicking around with monty the guy who diabolized mithras in the modern nights but they don't talk about it in children night it only comes up in the red list and so for all of this stuff she's done for all of these grand deceptions she's played for all of her most the fact she's the most wanted person in kindred society and the camera is expended all these efforts hunting her down no Nobody seems to care. Nobody. She's like she doesn't show up anywhere else. She yeah, doesn't yeah. interact with anybody else. She's not in any <laughs> of the other books. And I just I look at this character. And I'm like, I could cherry pick elements out of your backstory and use those. But you as an entity are a hot mess. And you have so many dots in everything that I couldn't ever use you for anything. It would essentially be like throwing the characters up against an antediluvian. You could break her up into like four or five characters. Yeah, you could easily break her into four or five characters and each one of them on their own would be fine. Like a Setite who doesn't want to serve Set. Uh, A character who impersonated a 
primogen for a while and is now being actively hunted by the Camarilla. You could use any one of those things as a story seed in its own, but having so, them all in the same character is too much. It's really, too really, much going What on. you're saying is, is that Kementiri is better used as like a Sedite and her brood rather than as a character. As a character, yeah. I could, yeah, You could sense. use her as that. You could I'll essentially use her as a Serpent of the Light type of thing, only not really a member of the Sabbat and a thorn in the side of it. I don't know. There's stuff you could do with her, which is why I find her so galling. Because I'm like, you obviously invested a lot of time and thought into this, but rather than take it to the next level and, and make it workable, you just kept... It's like the person who's making the soup and they just keep adding too much to it and then they mm. ruin it. You know, you're like... Way too fucking salty. Yeah, this, is, right. this is Vicos. This too is many Vicos territory. Too many cooks will, will spoil the broth. And that's what happened with Kimmy is too many cooks. And that was what happened with her. I think what happened was there was one cook playing... Who just like loved every, her too much. Like every single restaurant yeah. in the whole fucking city. Yeah. Um, that's possible too. She could be a complete Mary Sue I'm character. I'm telling you, man, that just, just sounds like a PC to me. This just sounds like with all these like special disciplines, and, she's like, obnoxious relationships with all oh, these she has thaumaturgy people. too, which oh. is great. Dude, I was like, how did okay. get thaumaturgy? By the end of third edition, everybody has thaumaturgy. Let's just let's just be honest here. Everybody has thaumaturgy. The thing that used to be the most special thing is now the least special thing. Yeah. It's like um, Lissambra and Teacher View. There used to be none of them. Now they're everywhere. Now there's tons of there's them. So Why many not? of them. Hey, they're probably hanging out with all the Cappadocians. It's because true. there used to be none of them, and now they're everywhere. Yep. Um, what would you do with this character, Ben? You got any ideas? You got? Any, you, got you're, you are a Sedite guy, and you, you, you. I've always associated Sedites with you. I do so, love the Sedites. You got um, any thoughts on this? You know, other than the fact that she's sort of like this, this mythical Egyptian character... Um, I, once again, you're talking about a character that's so ungodly powerful, so old. I like the idea of using, using her as sort of, sort of like, like, uh, force of nature type thing. But the problem is, is that, is that her, her story's so fragmented. It's everywhere. So yeah, that's, that's a real problem. So you can start with, you can start with like the earlier parts of it. I, I don't mind starting with the earlier parts of her story. I think the earlier parts are fine. story is so fragmented and shattered as she leapfrogs through time. <laughs> but, but I would, I would frogging through time. I certainly would ditch a lot of the modern stuff. <laughs> um, I, I agree. Uh, the girlfriend Heather just had me sit down recently and we watched the, uh, original mummy movie, not the, Black and white, the Brendan one, Fraser, the one. Brendan Fraser yeah. one, the good one, and um, not the Tom Cruise that, one. That, 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 no, we missed that one, and the the love story between Imhotep and uh, what's her name is pretty great, and uh, the way that they integrate that with like you know like forbidden love and you know passion that defies time and also the occult and weird killings. I just um, love when they kill Imhotep. It's so grim. <laughs> they throw him in the box. They cut his tongue out oh, yeah, and then they, they start mummifying him and then they <laughs> yeah. throw him in the side and dump all the scarabs yeah, on him and you just hear him screaming the CGI until they close scarabs. it. They just close him and they're like, yep, have fun, buddy. I'd probably want to do something kind of Imhotep-like with her. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I, I think, think that's that, good. That, that'd be fun. She could be a cool Imhotep. I like associating her with the mummies. Um, I think I'm... I under, mummies, I understand, are kind of like this like controversial thing, especially with the old world of darkness, where it's like eh, too much, the got too the little. Mummies. Yeah, what version of mummies are you using? I mean, there's diff- all these different kinds of mummies. Anyway, uh, I still think there's um, some fertile ground there to be farmed. For my last character, the one that I am voting no on is fucking... Uh, goddamn Don Luis uh, Moncada from <laughs> fucking Clan uh, La Sombra. Now I said earlier that I'm a Ambrosino big... or whatever is that uh, Ambrosino? Uh, whatever. He had a yeah. 
He has a name. He, he sucks. Dude, he fucking sucks. Yeah, what page is he on? I was going to look it up, but the book's not in my Archbishop hand. Archbishop Ambrosio Luis Moncada, Ambrosio. page 27. He's like a big, fat, gross-looking dude. Yeah. And he spawned off one of the worst characters in the of franchise. The oh, yes. Characters. yes. He is the sire of Lucida, who super sucks. I like how you but got he, to Lucida somehow. But the thing is, he, she's, she sucks so bad that you can't even talk about her. But like, let's let's also just, I mean, we're kind of running out of time here. This thing's running long, but but uh, let's just hit the high points here. Moncada takes the fun Spanish La Sombra thing and just makes it terrible with his like dumb true faith, his dumb grotesqueness. Like, I'm a big fat guy who like moves around all sprightly and silently. Like I, I hate even like imagining what that looks like. Um, I hate his the way that he's the progenitor of the Path of Night, which is dumb and sucks and was a step backwards for the La Sombra in the third edition revised era. There was nothing wrong with Path of Power and Inner Voice. True. Stick with Path of Power and Inner Voice. Fuck all this other shit. Um and Lucida also sucks. And also he's like he's like I don't know, he's just he's like too much. I the idea of like running a scene where the player characters walk into a room and they find the person who's been behind it all along and it's fucking Mankata and I just want to freak out. The only He's, good part about him is he has the flawed dark fate. Oh, he does have that. Yeah, so he so does, he does die. He does he have the does flawed get killed. dark fate. Hopefully uh, that'll be before V5 comes out. I thought Hopefully. I thought he got diabolized by Lucita in uh, Revised. Oh, did he? Yeah. I, I think know. he does. I think oh, in okay. like the clan novel or something, Lucita diabolizes oh, him. Those super well-written those clan, super novels awesome did, clan novels that I didn't that are the read best. any of. That are the best. I, yeah, they're great. That I somehow skipped for the last 20 years, and I'm never going to go back and reread, or or even read for the first time, rather. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my most hated right there. I mean, there's other ones. The thing is, is okay. When I sat down to do my list, I was like, oh, there's so many good ones I could choose. That's gonna be so hard to pick out just three. And I was like, I, I really seriously had to. I made a list. And I crossed some off. And I changed some. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, all right, time to pick out the ones I don't like. And I was just like holy fucking shit i mean i hate him i hate him i hate this whole book i hate like i hate like half of the guys in this book yep. i mean it was just i mean it's it's so hard to i had to call hate. out the obvious ones which was like theo bell yeah well and fatima and lucida i had to call the obvious ones just because i was like i i'll be here all night if i talk about how well, much i hate well, theo like bell. i said there's just certain stuff that's like shooting fish in a barrel you know i mean i'm sure that there's people out there i'm sure i'll catch a bunch of stick for the moncada take because just the other day I was talking about this with the mysterious Jeff, and he's like, "Oh, I like Moncada," and I think that's an unpopular take, you know. Um, uh, it's not unpopular, at least in this. Yeah, I don't like him. Yeah, uh, I well, thought he was dumb. See, great minds think alike. Um, can we give a couple honorable mentions? Oh, here? geez, spit them out quick. We're we're right. almost. I just done. want to give an honorable mention for great good characters to. I think I already spoke out spoke out about Ambrosino Giovanni, but also I want to speak out to uh, Yokalo. Who for me is so memorable because uh, of how what you did with them because what you did with them in Giovanni Chronicles years ago, and that I, I can't imagine a way to use a character uh, like him as well as you had him used with through like an agent of the PC right m- m- like Mike who 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 uh, became his agent or whatever during that game yeah that's true which was quite awesome well so. thanks man I appreciate that um, I almost put Yokalo on my list of um, my favorite characters. But then I would have to talk about how I use him. And since we're playing through Giovanni right now, Kaiokalo yeah, picks is Kaiokalo. He's already been mentioned in their game. Is is mentioned in Giovanni's one, two, and three. 
See, Nova Arapod was the one I was going to add, but then I skipped her in favor of Yorak. Uh, yeah. Because yeah, I love the Arapod dynasty. They are awesome. Do I have any honorable mentions I want to make? Man, I had a whole fucking armload of them, but now they're, they all they all slip my mind. But there's some that I just absolutely fucking love. And uh, Count Ormond, definitely. Mm-hmm. Another another goddamn setite. Setites are so well-written. They're so fucking well-written. They're a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. the bot guys are generally well-written. He's the only yeah. one of the like cover cover clan book ones, he- yeah. Hesher or whatever, that I like, kind of like. Oh, Hesher so. Rudhaze. Yeah. So there is that. Yeah. Well, everybody, thanks for sticking with us. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go real quick. I'm not gonna give you the usual spiel about going on iTunes and giving us a review. Oh wait, you should definitely do that. Um, I always promise to read the iTunes reviews if we get a new one. And guess what, motherfuckers? Oh, we got we one. We got a new one. Oh, Fuck we yeah, got a new one, bitches. We are up to five fucking stars full five stars I think we were at that before but we were up to 20 fucking reviews nice that's right there are podcasts that have been going way longer and probably have smarter better looking people on them and they don't have 20 fucking reviews so eat that so here's our latest one this is by Under the Dice we know who you are Under the Dice and we love you and I listen to your podcast Under the Dice by the way just so you know he has this to say. He says, from the moment they kick off, you know these guys are on the right page. If you have found your way here, then you clearly have some form of interest in metal, vampires, RPGs, the dark, lit candles, cloaked figures, and white wolf publishing. True believers of the night only. A plus. Yes. Thank you, Under the Dice. Badass. And also check out Under the Dice's podcast, which is well worth listening to. It, it, it posts a little infrequently, but when he does, it's a good time. Um... So thank you for your review, my friend. Uh, we really appreciate your support always, and we thank you, everyone who listens in, always. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave a five-star review. If you can't leave a five-star review, hit me up on the, the, the Instagram, at FullMetalRPG on Instagram. Tell me what's going on. Let me get back at you. Uh, tell your friends, listen to this thing. We're kind of trying to rebuild the, uh, the fan base after we sort of you know did a little disappearing act for two, three months. We're well on our way. We could use all the help we can get to sort of next level the podcast. And if there's anything you feel we overlooked today, hit us up and let us know. Oh, dude, if there's yeah. like you're like, oh, no, I love commentary, or like, hey, you missed this character who's even worse. And, you know, I'm sure we'll hear about El Diablo Verde as one of those. Oh, um, geez. But, uh, or if you're just like, hey, there's this great gem of a character that you completely overlooked, hit us up and let us know. Yeah, I mean, Love seriously. To hear about it. We've been doing a lot more posting on the FMRPG uh, webpage, or not webpage, but on uh, the Facebook. So find us, Full Metal RPG on Facebook, and, and, and post and let us know where we got it wrong, where we got it right. Well, I love to have a sprightly conversation on there. I was on there just the other day uh, uh, trading reposts with uh, Yogo Noroya, uh, one of my favorite people down in Brazil, uh, writing sharp swords and sinister spells. So we, we have a great community. We got William Cuthbertson out there posting. Um, we have we have we have we have good listeners. Please, we have the best people. <laughs> no, no, Adam, none of that. All right, so I'm gonna let you guys off the hook now. Thank you for listening to Shadows Run Radio Hour. We'll be back to with more White Wolf talk uh, one month from now. Thank you for listening. As always, have a good night. Good night. Good night.